2: Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that does for comic book movies what Ragnarok does for Asgard. I'm Joe Cunningham, and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are Sir Patrick and James Hunt. We'll skip the latest comic book movie and TV news, and instead dive straight into our spoiler-filled discussion of Taika Waititi's Thor Ragnarok. Spoiler-free. Spoiler-free. No, <laughs> spoiler-filled. Well,
3: no, spo- we do we do yeah.
2: spoiler-free first, don't we? Because we don't yes. do news. Okay, I'm not even going to cut this seven. How badly I fucked this up. We do We do a bit of spoiler-free. We kind of go, "Oh, I liked it. I didn't like it." And this is this is what I thought about it without revealing which six Infinity Stones feature at this point. Um, and then what we'll do is instead we'll take a we'll take a little break. We'll listen to something. We'll let all the people who are scared of spoilers escape. And then we'll come back and we'll drop all of the spoilers. And that's when our spoiler-filled discussion starts. I got it? Do I get it right? Do I get it right now? I think so. Okay, but before any of that, I'm going to ask Seven James to explain to me a comic book concept that, as a movie fan, I just don't understand. And, and and this is, I mean, I guess this is kind of movie related, but I just wonder if you two could explain to me what Thandral and Shazam have in common.
3: <laughs> Zeb? Um, yeah, Zachary. Is it Levy or Levi? Is it like the Jeans or like Eugene?
2: Oh, I mean that's a great question. Um, I I think it's I I think it's Levy if I had to guess, but I don't know. Was anyone a Chuck fan? Did anyone ever follow Chuck back when he was? Back when <laughs> No. No. Because <laughs> he definitely, um, he definitely warmed himself to nerds. I think throughout that show. So it's surprising that none of, none of us. Yeah, it's
4: great. There. It's great if you love tv that just ends with sort of random references <laughs> i never watched it james i can't i can't tell you whether that's correct <laughs> someone or someone tried to sell me on it by saying like uh oh, like it's great an episode just randomly ends with them copying the the ending of rocky and i was like that, well, that doesn't sound like something good
3: um, so yeah right Zach- zachary levy it's, it's 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 levi because i'm looking it up oh. on wikipedia and wikipedia says it's levi in the pronunciation thing but more specifically it's because it's actually his middle name his name's zachary levi and levi as a first name is definitely levi so right um yeah uh yeah so he's playing shazam slash captain marvel i don't think we know what the character will be called in the film i think it'd be pretty ballsy if they do actually call him captain <laughs> marvel but i have a feeling I mean he that is that called shazam call in, him in him the comics now, now isn't he so. he is now yeah um,
4: <laughs> ending the, a decades-long trademark war. <laughs>
2: <laughs> there is no way on earth that he's called anything other than Shazam in that movie.
3: <laughs> but yeah, but a, a lot of the news stories that I've seen about it have said he's playing Captain Marvel. Um, yeah, so I don't know if that's part of the official announcement. That's people that have of...
2: read the Wikipedia page online, Seb, who've never encountered the character before and have been asked to write 200 words on the fact that he's been cast in it. I know, I've been there.
3: <laughs> it's uh yes as as have we all um it's um it's a weird one isn't it because i mean maybe he's bulked out a bit in the years since but he's not like very hunky is he and like i've all the thing with captain marvel is that like even more so than superman captain marvel is a big old broad-shouldered white bread kind of hero like i may have said this on the podcast before but until he got too old to do it I've always said that the perfect casting for Captain Marvel, at least as he was in kind of late 80s, early 90s DC, when they really played up the boy in the body of a superhero, was Brendan Fraser. Like, Brendan Fraser at his peak would be a perfect Captain Marvel. Yeah. Right, so so um, this, is,
2: this is kind of what I wanted to bring up about Zachary Levy, Levi, because uh, he's got one of those faces, and the thing that I've always said about Brendan Fraser is, that is the face of... Um, that has been drawn by a caricaturist of a very handsome man that has walked up and asked for his picture to be drawn. Like <laughs> Brendan Fraser, he kind of has like all of the. You look at every element of his face and you go, "That's handsome. That's handsome. That's handsome. That's handsome." And you put them all together and you go, "Oh, it's a little bit. It's, it's a little bit just off the whole collection." And I think that there's something of that about Levy. He he has Levi. Jesus. He has very like I think classically like. Good look. He's kind of like blandly handsome, a, a bit, and so not not in the he same way. He just looks a
3: as... bit like a Jimmy Fallon impersonator to me.
2: <laughs> oh no, he's much better than Jimmy Fallon. As are we all. Wow. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think like he's he's got that look, and I kind of like. I think that he can, you know. He might not be big and ripped and buff right now. I'm sure he will be by the time he does the film. Let let us not forget that Chris Pratt was, you know, hired to be a superhero. Um,
3: yeah, but all he had to do was give up drinking beer, and then he became
2: ripped. <laughs> I I think Zach, Zachary Levi spends three to six months in the gym. He's going to be fine. And yeah, I think he's got that kind of like he's got a, a, a quite a youthful look. But he's I I just just looks wise. I can see him playing this kind of almost throwback, which I'm hoping that this is the direction they're taking with this character, almost like a throwback, golly gee whiz kind of vibe to him. Um,
3: which, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're doing Captain Marvel, that's what I want to see you do. I don't want it to be like he's been in, in recent DC. <sighs> uh,
4: I mean, it, the problem is it's being made by Warner, so yeah, they are inherently embarrassed by the idea of superheroes,
2: they made Wonder Woman.
3: Well, this is the thing. A, a Wonder Woman tone film, or a Captain America tone film, is exactly the approach for something like Captain Marvel. You you need the earnestness, but you need the warmth. Um, and, you know, it's kind of... It is old-fashioned, but you can do old-fashioned right, especially in this day and age. So... Um, but yeah, it's trusting whether they will actually do that or not.
2: Yeah, and I, I and I know we kind of we know him from the last two Thor movies. Obviously, he wasn't he wasn't playing Fandral in the first one. Um, mm. I, I I don't I don't think he I don't think the character got to do as much in either of those first. Se- I think it, I think
3: he probably had the least the impact of any of the Warriors three. Which
2: which I think you know probably is partly down to being you know not <laughs> not the same actor as the first two yeah, yeah like, partly where, where, and to be, also
3: to let's face it the, the the films have never really known what to do with those characters they're they're kind of there but um i don't think anyone in the writing of any of, of all three thor films went um oh i've got a great idea for what to do with the warriors three it was just well, they're Thor's friends, so I was going to say. I to think, I think Thor
4: one used them best in that they were Thor's like drinking buddies before he yeah. had any Avenger friends, and since then, I mean, there's at a least a,
3: you can do with them. At least they got to be in Ragnarok, unlike Sith, but you know,
2: uh, due to scheduling conflicts, apparently. Oh really? Well, well, I'm sure we'll be able to talk <laughs> about that when we actually get to Ragnarok. Um, I'm just wondering, do you guys? Have you guys had much... Um, have you watched much with Zachary Levi in?
5: Nope. You had much exposure no. to him?
2: So I'm sure there will be people listening to this who have watched Chuck that um, that, are, that will be kind of like, well, that's that's his thing. And I know he's, he was in the Heroes reboot, wasn't he? I think playing the main villain in that. Uh, but Heroes Reborn kind of uh, arrived dead on arrival pretty much. Um, but I don't... <laughs> You, I don't know if you guys had a, a, any kind of similar experience to me, but when I was a kid, I, we just had, you know, kind of like terrestrial TV. We didn't have Sky or Gable or any, any, any of that kind of thing. So when Freeview came around and we got a Freeview box in our house, it was a, like a big deal because, like, we could watch E4, which meant there was, like, <laughs> friends on repeat all day or whatever, or there'd be, like, just a, another couple of channels to choose from. Uh, and they had a channel called ABC1, which was basically a lot of American import sitcoms. Again, just kind of like, throughout the day, you'd get them on rotation. And they'd be kind of, there'd be stuff like Home Improvement, but there'd also be kind of like more obscure comedies as well that maybe run ran like two or three seasons in the US and just known in the UK was interested in airing them. So There's lots of random things like Hope and Faith, which was a Kelly Ripper uh, vehicle. Uh, Rodney. And there was this, one, this show called Less Than Perfect, which looking back now has this like, fascinating cast it had will sasso patrick warburton andy dick um and uh the lead actress was uh someone called sarah rue who was uh who, who i thought was pretty good but Le- zachary levi was one of the main characters in it and he just basically played the office dick like uh, in a show with andy dick in it he played the office dick and um i used to really quite like him in that so i've always been intrigued whenever he's turned up in stuff and like um yeah, I, I'm I, I'm kind of again I'm, I always am with, with any of these films, but I'm kind of hopeful that Shazam could be interesting, and I, I like the idea of of just visually Zachary Levi and The Rock coming coming together and <laughs> fighting in a movie because you really will believe that the that the villain's gonna win there.
3: <laughs> can I um can I just interject very briefly with an observation that upsets me? Um, you talking about freeview launching when you were a kid. It launched in two thousand and two. I was nineteen. Also, yeah. oh, I was yeah. Know. So I was I was thirteen. Seb, a wee nipper. Sod <laughs> off. <laughs> we've we, we we've just entered the the month in which I will turn thirty-five. So, yeah, oh, it's fine. It's fine. That's really old. Oi! <laughs>
2: uh, shall we move on to talk about some uh, Thor Ragnarok? Yeah. Yeah okay well let's do it um so this is everyone as i very eloquently explained at the start of the podcast this is our spoiler free section so what we'll do now is we'll just have a kind of briefish discussion about what we all thought of the movie which can kind of set you up to know whether you want to listen on to the podcast or turn it (laughs) off as i'm sure people have done in the past these three guys all really hated that movie that i liked
3: fuck them (laughs) Which yeah, and, that, and that's the case understand here. Understand,
2: where we all hated this, didn't we? We all <laughs> we all despised Thor Ragnarok. Um, I often I often go last with this kind of stuff, and I'm going to go first because um, I am almost certain um, of where I'm going to lie in the spectrum of all of us. Um, <laughs> I, I'm deeply disappointed by Thor Ragnarok. I'm sorry, you guys. I'm deeply disappointed by it. Um, <laughs> See,
4: I when I came out of the film, I was with like frequent podcast mic leader and I said to him Joe's gonna hate that.
2: <laughs> that well no I didn't hate it it is my favorite Marvel movie of the year uh Marvel Cinematic Universe movie um and I think there is um kind of like a a half a movie which is the movie that I was cautiously optimistic about seeing of course no I was really fucking hyped for this movie that's why I'm disappointed um <laughs> um I, I think I was hoping that the Taika Waititi... I, I was hoping that what we were actually going to watch was a Taika Waititi comedy. um, And if I compare this to the last two Taika Waititi comedies, I go, well, the, both of those movies are better uh, than, that, than this.
4: <laughs> that is one of my main... Like, as much as I love this film, and I'm going to say, like, I did love it, I did come out going, like, well... That's not the best takeaway TT film in fact, it's probably the worst
3: well yeah, yeah I, I I actually think like I have a feeling that a lot of people who are going to be critical about this, <clears throat> their criticism will be it's too humorous, and i actually I enjoyed it a lot, I really liked it. um I thought it was absolutely hilarious at times mm-hmm. having but having watched it actually after release, thus after the initial reviews and comments had come out, I was expecting one of the funniest films I've ever seen. And it absolutely was not that. It wasn't as relentlessly funny as I'd been led to expect. It's very funny, but my criticism would be it could have doubled down, to use a Joe phrase, even further on the comedy.
4: I mean, that's to be fair, that's something I felt like coming out of Guardians. And when I revisited Guardians, like the first Guardians,
3: Mm.
4: when I revisited it, I I think it was very much that was my expectations. Mm. Like, I think this film is like it's it's almost constantly jokes like if anything's a problem
3: with it it's that it's mm. too funny well that's what um, i mean i said i think I, some people like you to say that i kind of felt the opposite yeah i, do, I, did, I just I want to say as well very quickly i think it's funny that um joe is disappointed with it but it's his favorite marvel movie of the year i really liked it but it's not as good as guardians 2 for me <laughs> yeah. I, I, I i think so, guardians I, 2 has more to it beyond just the comedy and I don't. Think
4: I think this Guardians. Does. I think Guardians Two is aiming higher, but I think it falls a lot shorter. Yeah, that I. I
3: think that
2: would be I, Guardians Two. Just hasn't really sat with me the the way I thought it would. But it's. I think it's certainly a better put together movie. My my concert. My my problem with Thor Ragnarok is basically. I think the highs are astronomically high. Some of it is hilarious. Um, there are there are characters. There are set pieces that work. Perfectly. The problem is this is two movies stitched together. One of them is a generic Marvel Studios movie and one of them is a Taika Waititi comedy. And it never feels like the two are ever able to mesh. And in fact, I'd say it goes so far in the other direction that it's not that they mesh, it's that the Taika Waititi comedy actively undermines all of the Marvel stuff going on in the background. (laughs) So there is never, despite the stakes in terms of like the risk to the characters that we know and love, the the kind of the the threat that Ragnarok poses to Asgard. Um I I I won't go into too much other stuff because of spoilers, but it felt like there was really high stakes for our characters and for the Marvel universe, but I never felt them. I, I never like and even when I was seeing stuff happen on screen that that should have carried weight, I went I'm just not feeling this. I'm not feeling the stakes of this. And mm-hmm. what I wanted to see instead was like, f- like I know you called the movie Thor Ragnarok. You titled it that when you announced Marvel Phase Three. Do you know what? You clearly don't want to tell that story anymore. You clearly <laughs> want to tear name. up everything you've done with Thor before. Change the name. Th- fuck Ragnarok. Do that another time and w- make this movie a wall to wall comedy starring Thor. And then you don't have those problems and you also don't have scenes where we have to cut away from really funny stuff that -hmm. that Taika Waititi is doing and Chris Hemsworth's performance to go do some perfunctory plot stuff elsewhere where I kind of go, oh, I can have a nap for two minutes.
4: (laughs) It was like one thing that I did think about the film that was particularly weak was that like when like you'd have these kind of great sort of character comedy scenes and then when the action started it was a lot like well second unit did all
5: this
4: (laughs) slash we I do. and taika waititi just like you didn't feel his hand on the action in the same way you did in like in guardian like james gunn is there all the way through guardians 2 like whether you think it's a good film or not
2: like yeah i would agree with that his
4: hand is on everything Whereas I don't know if it's because Taika Waititi's just not done action before.
3: I, d- I do think, Wendy... I mean, I can't tell if it's Taika Waititi's hand on it because I'm not as familiar with his work as you guys and I certainly don't know what I would expect a Taika Waititi action film to look like. I do feel, without going into spoilers too much, that when you get to the last act and when the two disparate films are finally brought together to become one film... Um, that was the point at which the, the, the second unit film became a lot stronger and a lot more coherent. <laughs> I, 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 feel like I'm, I'm always defending third acts more than you guys, but I actually did feel that a lot of what happened towards the end was stronger. And the stuff, you know, I don't think it's spoiling to say that the film essentially divides into Asgard and Sakar. Have I said Sakar? Is that the name? Sakar? Yeah. Sakar? Yeah. Um, divides into Asgard and Sakar. Um, and it's only really, in the end when i think the asgard stuff gets really good but well uh-huh. really good is maybe overstating it um but gets better <laughs> i mean i i
2: think i i mostly enjoyed the film when it was on sakar and
3: oh i would I, it, I, I, I would that... go so far as to say that like everything on almost everything on sakar is pretty much perfect and whenever it's not it's a letdown mm, yeah i think i think it divides that cleanly to be honest
2: yeah, I would, and and uh, and I think it's telling that it takes a good half hour for the film to oh, get to I the mean, car.
3: That, <laughs> is, that is one of my biggest criticisms, is that I think it is to date the slowest starting film. Because well, it's,
2: it's got so much to do, which it's... I think partly comes from the mandate of, let's tear up everything that has come before in this franchise, so we can almost like clear the slate and move forward afresh. And it it requires the film to do that and also get to a point in the plot where you can do no pl- uh, next to no plot for the next hour and a bit until you come back to the... Because basically the film goes, plot, 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 plot. Let's tread water and be funny. Plot, yeah. plot, plot, the end.
3: And this is why, like <laughs> I say, I-, I would be happy if the entire film was treading water and being funny. Yes.
5: Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I... I- I've defended the kind of the Marvel Cinematic Universe in the past for, um, you know, kind of, you know, and saying, you know, we we do have all of these different genres that are existing within superhero movies. Just look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They did a buddy cop movie. They did uh, a heist movie. They did a conspiracy thriller. Uh, they did all of these things. And w- when I get to a film like Thor Ragnarok, what I want to be able to say is they did an out-and-out comedy that starred superheroes. They didn't, they pasted, They let, and, and I think Taika Waititi has been given a huge amount of freedom to do all of that stuff, but has still had to fit it on top of it, a script outline that already existed.
4: I mean, it's notable, they it, that They like, just don't come together. The first, like, 20 minutes of the film feels a lot like, let's get our MCU admin out of the way, because we've yes. got some cameos to do, we've got some plot beats to hit so that continuity works and then we can do the film we want to do which is this like you know crazy neon space disco but i mean i will get we'll get into
2: the plot specifics but
4: personally like
2: fuck all of that stuff i love the mcu like i i i've i've loved following it for a decade now but i don't want to like i think almost by t- keeping doing all of that mythology, building the MCU, doing big things that kind of progress the MCU while still telling a self-contained story. If you're making an out-and-out comedy, you don't need to do that. And what I want Marvel to do next is I feel like we've got to the point where they've done enough paying lip service to saying this is a film that is this genre and actually do it next time. Mm -hmm. So if there is a Thor Ragnarok 2, which is what Taika Waititi has said he wants to do. He said he's <laughs> not really interested in making Thor 4. He wants to make Thor Ragnarok 2. Um
3: great but which is him... a shame because Thor 4 should really be called T H O U R. I I I I've, I've, I've told you Thor. my pitch. I, I've
2: told you my pitch for this before, I'm sure, but the fourth Thor film should be called should be split into two parts and the second part he should just be playing football in Thor 4-2 um that was my <laughs> that is my dream uh. for the Thor franchise um yeah but I, I I basically I would love to see them make just an out and out comedy forget forget all of that other stuff because it it honestly is undermined here I want to see them commit to a genre and and what I also want to see which is going to be my slight criticism of some of the jokes in this. Now, like, again, probably I'm, I'm talking a lot of negatives. I did really love parts of this movie, and uh, I thought the comedy was fantastic. But I think the humour in in the Marvel movies needs to move a little bit further on from, look at this heroic superhero, look at how kind of, like, incredible he is and impressive he is and, oh, he's just done something stupid. Let's laugh at him. To, okay. I'm
4: gonna, I have to that... defend this film because I feel like the last few films were very much like... as if they went, oh, people liked when Avengers was funny, so let's get Joss Whedon to do a pass where he puts in a bunch of quips. And then it was like, mm. well, Joss Whedon's busy now, so let's get someone worse than Joss Whedon to put in some whedon quips. And this one was more like let's it has the whedon thing of undercutting moments of like super earnestness
5: mm.
4: not as badly as guardians 2 where that robbed the film of basically all of its genuine emotion but in this film there's also a lot of like bending the characters so that their mannerisms and stuff are funny like i think this is it's taika waititi's humor rather than joss whedon's humor being oh, put yeah. into the film so, like, uh, on that level, I kind of... I defend I, its humour.
3: I I think it does... Because I think, uh, you know, so, something I, I would really want to see these films do in terms of comedy is is character comedy, you know, and com- comedy that is drawn from the characters. And mm. I think this film does that with what? the Thor and Loki stuff. I think, you know, I think it... As well as humour that's just taking the piss or humour that um, doesn't... Korg um, have a hilarious voice, um, it also... There's a there's a lot of good and natural Thor and Loki um, dialogue comedy in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this up. this this film re- rehabilitates um, Loki pretty well, I think. <laughs> After we were all getting a bit bored of him.
2: Disagree. Uh, we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> uh, do, do you feel like the film effectively rewrote? the character of Thor.
4: I mean, definitely like it kind of dialed up the, the like idea of the, well, uh, like I kind of liked how it was Thor, but amped up. Like he was still unlike Thor two where, oh, sorry, Thor, the dark world where he was kind of the guy from Thor one, but boring. This was like (laughs) the guy from Thor one, but heroic like they they found a way to make it so he was still heroic but also he was still like big-headed and you know a bragger and like that was it it still felt like Thor and it didn't feel like a regression of the character no but also it was definitely a different version like it's not as bad as the way they treat Bruce Banner which is just to like have an unrecognizable version of the character on screen
2: Oh, I I thought
4: that Bruce Banner was closer to the previous incarnation than Thor was. I, I mean, I disagree, and not least because in the text of the film, they have him say, like, oh, my brain got all scrambled, as if to say, like, don't worry, this is just a Mark Ruffalo, Mark Ruffalo-ing. Don't worry, <laughs> that it's supposed to be Bruce Banner.
3: Yeah, I, I would say that they that with each successive appearance, they have absolutely leaned into turning bruce banner into a mark ruffalo comedy character um (laughs) and i to be honest i would take that every day of the week over the ed norton version but i am not a hulk purist and i acknowledge that mark ruffalo comedy character is not a version of bruce banner (laughs) that (laughs) that has any precedent whatsoever
4: i am a hulk purist and as much (laughs) as i enjoyed the performance i was like it's not bruce banner
2: I think uh, honestly this is the Marvel Cinematic Universe and a lot of the stuff they're doing at this point <laughs> is not is not the comics. And I mean like this film, I think it's not too spoilery to say, does not lean very closely on the mythology of Planet Hulk. <laughs> no. You know? No. <laughs> despite having despite having a lot of elements from Planet Hulk. I was
4: gonna say there. it leans it leans very heavily on the imagery of it.
2: Yeah. 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 Um I, I, I don't think I don't think it bothers me, the fact that they're changing the characters to, if they, if they want to take it in a new direction and they want to rewrite these characters to make for a better film now, as long yeah, as it yeah. kind of doesn't break the whole the whole uh, universe, which, I mean, even to an extent, I think, you know, there's certain playing around that you can forgive. And in terms of the way they change the characters here, I think it's completely forgivable and I think... Hemsworth particularly sells that this is a just it's the same character with the comedy beats ramped up
4: Yeah, Um, I mean the the important thing is do these changes work for the film that they're in and in that in this case yes they do
2: yeah whereas the changes that I would argue do not work for the film they're in are there I think there are there are things about the film's plot that almost flirt with canon uh, with with kind of, you know, actually breaking canon, or there are things that the film does with its greater plot mechanics and with with its kind of, let's wipe the slate clean here so that we can almost start afresh with this character and this mythology. It almost feels ashamed of the version of Thor that came before it. And that, that's not the, this is not the Taika Waititi part of the film I'm talking about here. This is the part <laughs> that I can, that you can only imagine kevin feige has been you know meticulously looking at um
4: <laughs> this is the I, remember when thor was a fish out of water rom-com <laughs> yeah <laughs> well try not to
2: <laughs> yeah and and i don't know there are there's there's certain decisions they made and i just kind of went to myself you could have told this same story with without doing that thing um and it and it disappointed me on a number of occasions really uh but I I guess that might be something that we need to talk about in spoilers. Because basically, I think my my non-spoilery thoughts are 90% of the comedy, I'm so all in on. Um, I I just wanted the entire film to be that. And I think think at this point, Marvel has the latitude to do that. There isn't a huge amount of this film that you think, oh, well, that's going to be important for an Infinity War. (laughs) so you think you can probably get from point a to point b of this film the majority of it anyway without kind of having to do the big plot stuff in the background i mean yeah i i i i want marvel to commit to genre next time i want them to go which is kind of what i feel like i'm seeing Might other studios might be doing i mean like deadpool commits to genre
4: yeah definitely
2: I don't. You, you don't have to like it, uh, and not everyone did. But Deadpool commits to genre. <laughs> I think Logan committed to genre. New mutants. New mutants. That trailer looks like that film's committing to genre. And I think Marvel have more latitude to do this than anyone else, especially if that genre is comedy. <laughs> Make a film that's ninety-five minutes long. Not two hours, plus this film has no no reason to be the length that it is. I know that's a common like movie nerd complaint. Like, why is this movie so long? But uh, in this but case, really... you
3: could legitimately chop out the first half hour and lose nothing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you would you would lose something that... I don't know if this is veering into spoilers, so we could go into it more detail, but something that I had been quite looking forward to. And then when it happens, it's just, oh, get on with it. Like, it, <laughs>
4: are we talking about the gratuitous cameo yeah
3: yes i wouldn't call it a gratuitous cameo because it was previously set up and we knew it was going to (laughs) happen but it adds literally nothing to the film.
4: i mean i feel like this is because that whole sequence was heavily cut and we'll talk about that when it Mm. becomes spoiler time
2: shall we uh shall we move forward into spoilers let's go into spoilers yeah yeah okay listeners if uh you know if you want to hear us continuing to discuss this um, I think what we're going to do this week is is attack it in a in a fairly chronological manner, which I think will involve us being critical, then effusive, and then maybe a bit of a mix. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it seems it actually seems like we're on a, a, a similar-ish page with this movie. We, in that there's a lot to enjoy, but there are some head scratching elements as well.
4: I, I mean, the thing I want to get on record before we go into the spoiler section is that. I think it's a three-star film, but I had a five-star reaction to it Cause like, I
2: the highs are high. Like, that's, that's, yeah, I mean, that's I, I think the stuff I, think I loved,
4: it's... like, I can't wait to see it again. Mm. And I think it's going to be like still nothing. I think is troubling my top five MCU films, but I think this is definitely closer to the top than the bottom.
2: I you must see like, an are... edit, don't you? That's like seventy <laughs> minutes long, and it's yeah,
4: just,
3: just it's just the comedy parts.
4: I think the flaws are all technical. But the stuff I love I loved a lot
3: when when it, when it's good, it is as good as anything yeah. it's like there, yeah. there are moments that are like top ten m c u moments mm-hmm. definitely uh one invo- one involving a psychedelic tunnel especially
2: <laughs> see i i had to i i, I entered this into letterboxd and i almost had to give it i gave i don't like doing half stars and movies and i gave it <laughs> three and a half stars because i was like well it's clearly better than marvel's three star movies mm. but also it's not it's it's not working for me on a higher level than that overall as a film but yeah if you cut out those scenes if you cut out individual scenes from here <laughs> and there i'd probably go yeah five stars for that
4: there's a lot about it for me like when it's at its best it's kind of weird and idiosyncratic and filmmaker led and if they cut out all the bits of it that weren't it would be like top of the heap practically like it it would be up there
2: i mean that's that's why i kind of want to see taika waititi get another crack at this where they know he's the filmmaker from word go and that maybe he like you know if you're if that's the film that kevin feige is developing from the ground up. He knows maybe. Do you know what? I I, I don't need to call this one Ragnarok. I was going to say. literally him- call this one Thor Goes to the Park.
4: <laughs> let him do a film where the title wasn't decided like six years ago or whatever it was.
3: Let, let, him, yeah. let him do a film about Thor with his flatmate.
4: <laughs>
3: I've got it right.
2: I've got it. It's called Planes, Trains and... Thor automobiles, and it's <laughs> Thor and Daryl on a on an actual road trip this time, and it <laughs> and it back. and it literally is like midnight run maybe.
3: But, da- but Daryl we, turns get... out
2: to Daryl turns out to be like a, a, an agent of uh, Thanos, and Thor has to transport him back to some intergalactic planet.
3: I've nailed it. But can we get Corbin planet Valkyrie present. in
2: there as well? Yeah, well, you need some muscle. You need some muscle to make sure he doesn't escape. <laughs> Okay, uh, so that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's our plans for F- Thor 4-1 is playing strange and thor automobiles, And Thor 4-2 is literally, he he plays football for the Swedish national side in his Donald <laughs> Blake persona.
3: Norwegian, surely.
2: Norwegian, I don't know. Something Scandinavian said. We're also leaving that in. Okay, <laughs> let's take a listen to a trailer for the movie and then we'll come back with lots of spoilery thoughts on Thor Ragnarok.
0: this happen well it's a long story
4: has gone is
5: dead.
1: Tell
5: me. A contender.
0: It's main event time.
1: from
2: work oh, come on. okay guys so um, spoiler filled discussion now of Thor 3 um, and
4: Ooh, can, before we do anything I want yes. to go back to maybe three years ago when the title was announced whenever it was You've been convinced that Thor was going to die in this film for so long.
2: I was convinced that um, almost all of the Avengers would die before (laughs) Infinity War. Yeah. But also, I, I, I kind of, I think I was wrong about what Infinity War was going to be as well, because I thought Infinity War would be, okay, Thanos has got his Infinity Stones, now let's let the rumble happen, and it sounds like infinity war is going to be him finding the stones <laughs>
4: and then the I sequel thought, will be the rumble
2: i i thought at least one of cap or tony would die in civil war i thought thor would die in States, so what i thought was captain america would die thor would die hulk would be off planet and it'd be kind of like a drunken miserable tony Stark pulling together these new heroes and going uh can you guys help me stop thanos and like
4: <laughs> you're the avengers now <laughs>
2: Yeah and and we kind of see this like sub-avengers fail miserably against <laughs> against Thanos and um and that the sequel the part 2 would be some kind of resurrecty deal where we where the gauntlet like, brings back these dead heroes uh, semi permanently to to take down Thanos. Uh I was wrong. I don't know whether that was ever and ever anything that was in the in the plans. On the um, um,
3: on the subject of characters possibly dying. Does anyone reckon there was a draft of this movie where Heimdall died? Because I was convinced that was going to happen. <laughs> I was genuinely surprised when he didn't.
2: Given that he was a character that had been in these <laughs> movies before, it was, it was just a reason that he yeah. was probably going to die.
3: <laughs> oh, poor Warriors 3. <laughs> can, we talk, can
2: we talk about that? I mean, we are going to go through this chronologically, but... So... Odin dies. That's a that's a plot mechanic we, which we'll get to. Uh, the Warriors three die. Uh, Jane is offhandedly referred to <laughs> in the kind of way that we thought she was going to be offhandedly referred to in Age of Ultron. This movie must have undergone so many changes since the Age of Ultron. And yeah, the the Warriors three die. And apart, from, like uh, I forget his name. Is it Thorsteg? Uh... No. No, but you're going to say... Hogan. I know who Hogan. Hogan. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, apart from Hogan, who gets to stick around for a little longer... You get some, yeah, a moment. <laughs> and Fandral just literally like, Hey, oh, dead. And you're like... <laughs> and I was like... You... All right, so they're not dead. So there's going to be some kind of, like, Superman-esque rewind of time at the end, or we're going to find out that this all is all some kind of trick from Loki, or... I don't know. Like, I kept expecting there to be some subversion at the end of the film, where it turned out, no, we haven't literally ignored or like just casually flung aside these major characters and yeah they had and it was like when he was down on earth i was like well will we get to see uh selvig or darcy and no and i think yeah. the only reason that lady sith wasn't killed is because jamie alexander was too busy filming blind spot <laughs> small blessings <laughs> it's it, it it is strange isn't it it's i mean it's obviously it's obviously something very deliberate that i mean i think studios wants a clean house with this franchise
4: yeah i think it kind of it worked in that it established hella as a genuine threat but at the same time it was well it was so offhand that you're almost like oh is that it i'm not sure that's it
2: Mm. all right well let's 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 come back to hella and her and her threat levels shortly um (laughs) I'm, I'm basically going to go through the Wikipedia uh, article here and uh, f- through the plot and we can kind of talk about it uh, point by point. The first point being that this is two years after the Battle of Sokovia and Thor, as he casually explains to us in that <laughs> really funny opening monologue, that he has been unsuccessfully searching for the Infinity Stones for the past two years and now he's come back because he's having some visions about Ragnarok.
3: So I'm, and- I'm trying to think of a moment in a film viewing that has attracted as much laughter from the audience as when Thor spins around and says, <laughs> "Hang on a minute." And I think, I mean, at least in terms of these type of movies, I would probably have to go back to some point in the first Guardians. Um, it but... took
2: me a minute to adjust to kind of the character because I was like, "Oh, this this isn't Thor," but I was like, "But then I was like." I don't know, he's got that cocky swagger of Thor, but he's also doing it for, like, the st- the stuff he's doing is, like, it's not like he's gone back to his pre- like, yeah. learning the error of his mm. ways days. He's just, he's just literally, he's he's got the swagger, but the swagger is kind of in, like, dumb jock bro humour,
3: I mean, almost, you, you know I mean? Do you, you mean? not think that that is a reasonable character development based on the fact that he's been hanging around with Tony Stark? <laughs> <laughs>
2: That seems to be the case for any of them to be honest
4: <laughs> they've all up their quipping game yeah
2: but he's 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 quipping like he's quipping and it's and it's kind of it's funny but he's also you know he's a little bit shit at it isn't he like he's got <laughs> he's got this he's got this banter but it's also like it's slightly held back by him being a little bit of a dummy which is which i think Anyone who watched Ghostbusters will go, okay, well that's Chris Hemsworth's was very good at that. We should let him do that <laughs> all of the time. Yeah, uh, I mean it worked for me.
4: It's definitely a reasonable place to take Thor as a character, like to have him be sort of a bit of a bro, but also with his heart in the right place. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Which and and, and that's what I meant when we were talking before in the spoiler free section about it feels like a change to the character. It feels like they have actively gone like we don't want to write him the same way anymore and we are going to kind of cheat and change him as a character but it it makes sense on the spectrum of what we understand that character as mm-hmm. so i'm fine with it what did make me laugh though was that he'd been searching for Infin- infinity stones for two years because age of ultron said that he was gonna do that <laughs> like, when you think about where that where that storyline was set up in age of ultron to the point that like it removes Thor from Age of Ultron and does him so for the second Avengers movie. Thor gets done wrong, and be, but beyond that, they realised kind of within Age of Ultron that it wasn't working. So by the time we saw the finished film, it had been chopped up to the point of like it not making any fucking sense that Thor was just walking into a pool and then going. Uh, Infinity Stones and we were all going I mean, yeah, we know Infinity Stones but <laughs> it feels like you've come across this really quickly and now you're going to go out and hunt for them to the point that they actually make this film and go, yeah, he didn't find any.
4: <laughs> there's, there's, there's no the funny thing is like, he didn't find any even though his dad's literally got one in his basement. Yeah. <laughs> like, well done, well done, man. Well, I guess he knew, That's I guess he knew that all well. those. <laughs> It, I, I
2: love the, the the casual disregard for the Infinity Stones in this. The point where hella walks past the the Sesserats and she's like, "That's pretty good, I guess." And then just knocks over the gauntlet Gauntlet and goes, "It's a fake."
4: <laughs> that I mean, um, that's a nice little nod, isn't it?
2: Yeah. That's I mean, do you, do you remember when we were we were all kind of convinced that this would be the film that the final Infinity Stone showed up in? Because we're still missing one. I mean, and-
4: I was sure it was going to show up in Guardians two, To be honest because of adam warlock and like traditionally as i've probably said before the the final stone that we're missing the soul stone is in adam warlock so i sort of assumed given that aisha was in guardians 2 that was where it was going to turn up whereas here
2: it would have stood to reason as well we've got the goddess of death the soul stone would make sense turning up here as well
4: yep but no so i guess infinity war is gonna be about just... the search for the final infinity stone, and they're all gonna go and look for the nice little garden that's inside the saucer.
2: Well, I and, and also I don't know if you remember this, there's been like theories that uh we've actually seen the soul stone around Heimdall's neck in the past. <laughs> Maybe not around his neck or whether it was at like a, it was somewhere on in his regalia. <laughs> um if i Heim- if i Heimwald had to put money a costume on it, change in this one so
4: yeah if i had to put money on it i would say infinity war is going to be about like dividing up the infinity stones between thanos and the avengers and they're going to be looking for the soul stone and it's going to turn out to be something very minor and incongruous and like not grandiose it'll be like like doctor who style it'll be like a pocket watch or something <laughs> that's what i think Any t-
2: james anytime you see you mention doctor who I j- i'm just waiting for you to prod seb in some way <laughs> <laughs> um it's i well i think though is remarkable that given that this was set up to be an infinity stone movie from age of ultron and then you go okay you've removed all of it because you've got taika waititi and you're doing a different kind of film that's great um and then we st- but then yet yeah, we still have all of this like plot nonsense going on in the background, and it still is this enormous movie where Ragnarok is hanging over the movie. And, uh, you know, we saw Ragnarok in the trailers, so we, we literally saw the scene from the end of the movie
4: in the trailers. I mean, the I, weird I, thing is, like, like ra- the film starts by averting Ragnarok. Like, that's the whole point. He's like, oh, well, I fixed Ragnarok. That's not going to happen now. Yeah. And then for two hours, it doesn't. And then yeah. at the end, they're like oh actually we need Ragnarok and also it's the one thing that will work and you're going is it wait what did you say that and they they kind of hand wave over like yeah yeah it can stop Hella. so let's just let him out okay there it goes okay it works the end
3: yeah I, I quite like as a plot beat um the thing that we've been trying to avoid happening yeah we, need to, we happen. need to make happen I and i like that. that it's this this pyrrhic victory for serta yeah, <laughs> you know he, he like, gets to smash up asgard cuz he's just like oh yeah i get to destroy asgard like it's not like they um, spend the
4: whole middle of the film <clears throat> trying to prevent ragnarok
3: like no i mean as yeah, far in, in terms of how, how it, it bookends up. it yeah, yeah.
4: it's um, yeah like you say it's definitely it's bookending the idea and like if you know it's the kind of thing where if they'd done another draft they might have had some more connectivity in, you know, if you could go back and rewrite the movie, having made the movie, you would say, oh, actually we need to set Ragnarok as more of a thing that they're trying not to do in order to make the act of them doing it have more weight. Because as it is, they basically hand wave it. They just go, oh, Sirta can defeat Hela. And you're like, well, that, they never said that up until this point in the film. Like, Serta is something they've locked away and aren't thinking about for two hours.
5: Hmm.
2: Hmm. I don't know. I I I I do kind of like it at the end of the movie as kind of like a, as like Seb said, like a plot a plot point of. Oh yeah, shit! The 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 kind of worst thing imaginable is the thing that's going to save the day. Uh, and I like it. And I like the visuals of it at the end of the film. Oh yeah,
4: I love the visuals, and I love. And the I idea. like some of the. It's just I wish. I like been... some of the
2: comedic beats that happen within that with the Hulk <laughs> as well
4: yeah I, d- I don't know what you
2: think so we we did mention about kind of like a lot of the action feeling like it was almost like Taika with YCC has stepped aside and said okay second unit you handle this and I mean especially I, I got that from the very first fight with Serta where I was like okay this is this is really this is really fun and then Immigrant Song comes on which I'm like okay well that was the song from the trailer." And then Immigrant Song comes back again at the end, and I'm going, oh, I. Uh, it was mm. maybe a little bit more original than that. <laughs>
3: yeah, it's not super imaginative. What I it find just feels like Taika
2: is, doesn't care about those parts of the film. He's like, when do I get to do my bits again?
3: I, mean, I think I would it's have quite been interesting vi- that there's, there's been this trend for these, you know, for kind of, obviously Guardians kind of started it, but
4: I, I want to well, disagree with that. I think Iron okay, Man well, started it.
3: I suppose. But I think what's interesting with this is... I think, correct me if I'm wrong... That this is the first time that this has happened and it's not diegetic. Like, with Iron Man, you hear the... the uh, It's ACDC, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because Tony listens to that. And okay, there might be times when you hear it on the soundtrack... And it's not actually literally diegetic... But it's there because it's something that Tony plays, and he definitely does play it out of <laughs> the armor at times. Obviously, in Guardians of the Galaxy, it's on the tape. Even in Deadpool, that opening sequence with Angel of the Morning, it's playing on the radio in the car, isn't it? So it's it's linked to that. Like pretty much all of these, I don't know about Suicide Squad because I still haven't seen Suicide Squad. Oh come uh, on! It's definitely not. Definitely it's not. Definitely digestible. not digestible. Uh, okay, so so Suicide Squad did it first in that case, but it did strike me that. Yeah, you know, th- there is no connection between that song and this film other than this will sound good. I mean, And actually, as as good as it was in the trailers, I do think the film could have done without it, and that's because it breaks the consistency of the uh, rest of the soundtrack. No, I dis- I'd have been I
4: very disappointed hear. if it didn't show up in the film.
3: Oh, no, it, in that sense, but but what I mean is it's just, it is quite at odds with the rest of the soundtrack of the film, which, by the way, I think is fantastic. It is great, isn't the it? The Mother's it? Bow soundtrack is just... It reminded what me the of
2: the fu- Lego movie score that
3: he did, uh, which yeah. is which is not. I mean, he thing. is he is really really great, I and mean, the the feel that he gets with this is <laughs> spot. On.
4: It's weird, actually. One of the things about the Doctor Strange sequence that really put me off was when it was just like suddenly, okay, now we're going to have du- the Doctor Strange soundtrack, and you were like, "Here's mm-hmm.
3: the Sherlock theme."
4: <laughs> mm, not very keen on that.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay. Um. So after after the big old fight, Thor goes back to Asgard, and um. We get a we get the scene where so again set up from Thor the Dark World which <laughs> is that's the last time we saw Loki right at all yeah mm. which seems insane I, I it doesn't it doesn't feel like it I mean that film seems ages ago but it doesn't feel like Loki has ever really been away um, and and I will I think do we do we all still agree Loki is still the best villain in the MCU yeah
4: yeah because he because he's a character because he's a character with actual motivations that aren't just oh let's be evil mm. yeah and and I will
2: I will mention here the the problem I had with Loki in this film I'd like that I like that Loki is a character who you can put next to Thor and you have a very interesting relationship between the two of those and it's always good to to see them play off against each other the two actors are great together I just, I just felt it was the first time that Loki had shown up in a film, and I thought, "Oh, you don't need to be here."
5: Mm-hmm.
3: I don't think he needs to be there, but I think he, I felt that seeing him in the trailer, and I think he justifies his place in this better than I expected.
4: I mean, the thing, I wish he'd justified it more because, like, realistically, the reason he's there is because you need that double act, and that's like the central dynamic of the Thor franchise or whatever. So, I fair wanted enough. it
2: to take him somewhere new and by somewhere new I don't just mean oh he can play hero for this scene.
4: Yeah sure I mean I agree in that sense that his arc in the film is doesn't do anything that we haven't seen him do before in like a micro version. I'd almost
2: have liked to have seen the film like try and I mean, this is just me kind of doing my, like, this is what I would love to see in the MCU. My ideal art for Loki is that he, during this film, goes, yeah, what if I do play the hero this time? What if I <laughs> well, what if I just complete, what if I completely heel turn and kind of do what I've always, like, be the person that I've always fought against being? I mean, okay. And then for him to be in... Infinity War and be faced with Thanos again and go ah oh, shit I'm really I'm really kind of <laughs> torn mean, between the two extremes here. I
4: do feel like they're setting that up in a way because you probably didn't notice this as much as Seven. I will because this is the thing I was talking to Kieran Gillen about on Twitter, which is that he wrote a comic called Jenny into Mystery where the central premise of it is you're the like Loki is the god of lies. So he can never lie, he can never not lie. That makes him predictable, which means he's not effective at doing what he's supposed he's, to do. He's
3: he's not the chaotic yeah. god that he's supposed to be. Yeah. If you, if you're predictable, you can't be chaos, but he has to be chaos. So
4: yeah. within the boundaries of that story, Loki kills himself and is reborn as someone new because that makes him unpredictable again. Right. And I feel like what they're doing with this version of with Loki in this film is they have Thor give that speech to him where he says, like, you're predictable because you're always Loki. And yeah. the film ends with Loki kind of embracing heroism a little more definitively. Okay. Not, not completely definitively, but I feel like that speech was set up for Infinity War, where we'll see a more well-defined version of that story, because otherwise there's no reason for that beat to sort of be in the film. Like it, it, yeah, fe- it feels like that's something they're aware of and something they're doing with the character, and maybe that they're even going to kill him off in Infinity War.
5: No,
2: I don't want that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I like Loki. <laughs> he's my he's yeah, my
4: you're gonna he's, he's my favorite villain. In <laughs> to the be ACU. fair, I if... just hope
2: he's got enough. I hope they've got enough time to give him some attention in Infinity War.
4: <laughs> if you read I'd, I'd... if you read Jenny into Mystery, you'll probably like him even more, and you'll also be yeah. going, I want the other version of Loki to show up so Tom Hiddleston can go have a rest now.
3: I I I would kind of think I would I would say that the last few years have pretty definitively proven that Loki's more interesting when he's not just an out and out villain. I think I think he was great as a villain in these films up to a point, but we've had that now. And if you're going to keep using him, then yes, do something more interesting with him than him. Just it was to just
2: I I think why why he was interesting as a villain because there was sh- there was sh- he didn't turn up as just like I am evil because. Because we say so, it's like he, he was evil. Because well, he, uh, he didn't because, necessarily because he feel was, evil. He was
3: bitter and um, felt like he'd been shot upon for a lot of his life. Yeah, yeah basically.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, and he and he didn't have a sense of his own identity, and he felt like. It's he felt well, like he would got, be a great leader, but he was never going to be given the chance to do it. That's so the he, thing, so like, he took leadership for himself.
4: Loki has a central tragedy that makes him relatable, whereas all the other guys just turn up and they're like, "Hi, I'm Ronin, I have a hammer, and I am evil."
2: Yeah, and I mean, and, and that's
4: like, there's no tragedy fun, to any of the it, other that, villains.
2: It's funny that the Greek, that the, the, the Norse god has that relatability <laughs> that a lot of the other ones don't. Yeah, I mean, I mean the other one, the other one, I. I didn't like the film as much as this one, but yeah, I think Michael Keaton was a success that, in Spider-Man. I was literally about
4: to say the only other guy who's got that is Michael Keaton in Spider-Man.
2: And obviously the the actual best Marvel villain, uh, Wilson Fisk.
5: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so, th- so when Thor does return to Asgard, though, we see uh, a, a really great scene where... So we
3: Loki is posing as Odin. So we get Anthony Hopkins. So and, we get uh, the bit the bit of the film where Anthony Hopkins actually gives a shit as opposed to yes. the <laughs> bit coming up where I cannot believe how how little of a shit he gives. <laughs> so I was
2: so I was baffled by this. So because we've got we've got this great scene on Asgard where Anthony Hopkins is getting to have some fun. He's getting to play basically he's, get, he's getting to play himself as Loki
3: mm. which is which is really And the fun. oh shit is fantastic. <laughs> yes. A wonderfully oh. placed piece of swearing.
2: It's wonderful <laughs> and I, and I think this is a testament to his performance in this scene but also said what you're talking about when he shows up in the other scenes in the in the Norway scenes. Fucking hell. Like well, I was watching those <laughs> and going I was going why isn't why isn't Chris Hemsworth playing any why is he back to playing boring Thor in these scenes? Is it that Anthony Hopkins is like being a real grump and saying look no I'm not engaging in any of this comedy nonsense we're going to play these scenes straight and serious and then I was like oh no but he did that scene earlier and like I'd almost yeah. forgotten that that was him exactly. because I was just I believed because- i believed it was Loki the whole time so it wasn't Anthony Hopkins in
5: my yeah, mind
3: that, you know? that scene makes you think that Anthony Hopkins did this entire film under sufferance because, like, genuinely, I've, I've I can't remember the last time I saw a performance as sleepwalky as that. It's not even that he's playing it serious; it's that there's no conviction to anything that he says, <laughs> and it just feels to me like it just must have been a really rough day on set for Taika Waititi to try and squeeze. Anything out of him?
5: And yeah. You say set on a, I was gonna say. I'm not, screen, I'm, not screen,
3: <laughs> I'm not convinced. I'm convinced those, those the three actors
4: stage. were in the same.
2: <laughs> we're room.
3: actually in the, Yeah. No. Yeah. Like
4: that. And, that it's, whole it's Norway awful. stuff is clearly like. Let's go to reshoot land. Because yeah. what's well, well, also because... the
2: scene that we saw in the trailer where hella destroys mjolnir yeah that that is like that's like on a street it's on a a a
4: totally different background that's the point it takes place in in new york like if you watch the trailer she literally destroys mjolnir and then it cuts to a giant shockwave in a new york street Yes. yes whereas in the film that happens in rishu island norway
2: I mean the first act though does feel like a bit of a mess to me plot wise so I wonder whether just something didn't work or there was some inconsistency and they had to but that all of the stuff in Norway is really grim, really grim like and I, and I
3: think, I don't know how long it goes on for but I think it's, it's those scenes specifically and to an extent the Doctor Strange stuff that gives this film the feel of take, because we just talked about really great stuff at the beginning with the bit with Surtur, and then the bit with with Loki posing as Odin. There's there is a good twenty minutes or more that's that's really fun, but then you get this stuff that sucks the life out, and then it gives the film the impression of not coming to life at all until they get to Sakaar.
2: Yeah, which isn't the case, but it feels like when mm. you when you're remembering the film, it feels like oh god, wasn't that a trudge? Yeah, <laughs> and it and and it and that's not the case. I mean the The scene with the play it reminded me of a similar high point in what was a a fairly dour season of Game of Thrones a couple of years ago, where the character of Arya comes across uh, this traveling traveling players band uh, this this traveling theater group basically who are telling the story of the first couple of seasons of Game of Thrones, but (laughs) telling it in a like in a very comedy kind of poking fun, like almost like it's been it's been approved by the crown so that certain characters are appearing more heroic and certain characters are appearing less heroic and Aria has to watch it. And it's, it's really good. It's a story that kept coming back to Richard E. Grant's in it. Essie um, Davis from the Babadook. And it's really, it's really good. And this reminded me so much of that. Um, and I do wonder, so you guys, when you watched it the first time, how many of those three cameos did you recognize when you were just watching it in in the cinema, <laughs> uh,
3: two two out of the three, I, I didn't recognise Liam Hemsworth. What
2: about what about you? James? I, I'm
4: bad enough with faces that I didn't get any of them straight away. I was literally going like, "Wait, who's that?" I,
2: could, I couldn't. believe it. The only one I didn't get was Matt Damon to the point that I Matt actually Damon had to was ask the on most obvious. Well, that's like, it. Honestly,
4: I, don't under- I don't understand. Honestly, it. <laughs> I didn't get it. Like, even someone went Matt Damon was in. Thought I was like, was he? Like I didn't yeah, even I was, notice he
2: was there, but to the point that I, the first one I noticed was Liam Hemsworth. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, maybe because it was a scene with Anthony Hopkins in, and Liam Hemsworth was in Westworld with him this year. Uh, and then I was like, "Oh, Sam Neill." Yeah, I knew. I, I, of course, I knew Sam Neill was going to be in this. So then I'm looking at Loki, going, "So who's doing? Who's doing Loki?" And I just did it. I just never got there. Never got there <laughs> whatsoever.
4: Yeah. See, I clocked that I knew Sam Neill, but I had to have it explained to me. <laughs>
2: Uh, okay, so when so Thor basically again is kind of whistle stop. He figures out it's Loki. It's a fun scene, um, a full scene, fun scene with Mjolnir and and kind of Loki or Tom Hiddleston doing that really great thing of like just showing what a weaselly little shit that Loki is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's the kind of perfect encapsulation of that character, and I think probably of of the characters Loki changes the least. Mm-hmm. It feels like he. This is this is pretty consistent with what we've seen of him already. I mean,
4: the th- the problem I had with that scene though is that, like, as funny as it is, it's essentially admin from the previous Thor film. Because they're like, oh, yeah, we well, left yeah. the character here. Now we have to get him out of here. How can we do it in a way that isn't sort of grimly
3: obvious? And also that we have know, pre- no interest
4: in following that up as a status quo.
3: I was going to say the previous film left that in such a way that you figured, oh, that will be a major storyline. Right? Yeah. It's- not Mm. at all (laughs) it's just oh as soon as Thor comes back he realizes that that's not Odin obviously because anybody should have realized
2: (laughs) well again I remember when I was reading about the first draft of the script that Odin was going to be down on earth kind of posing as a doomsday preacher which I was really looking forward to seeing and obviously this first version of the script was kind of like ripped up once they brought in Taika Waititi um But another thing it kind of feels like it was bound to, because it showed it in a post-credit sequence, was we have to go visit Doctor Strange. Hmm. They don't need to visit Doctor Strange. We We can find Odin very quickly. And it's funny, I've seen a lot of people saying, I didn't really like Doctor Strange, but I really enjoyed the cameo here. And I'm going, do you know what? I loved Doctor Strange at the time. And this movie made me go to myself, oh. I'm a bit worried about going back to visit Doctor Strange after watching that. <laughs> yeah, scene. Yeah, because...
4: I really didn't want like I was when Benedict Cumberbatch was on screen. I was like, oh, please just go away. <laughs> and and the, the the accent head fuck that that scene is
2: Oof. watching this Brit do a bad American accent <laughs> yeah. and I'm Chris Australian Hemsworth, yeah, still holding on to his like his very much Australian doing a plummy British accent accent. Um, <laughs> I mean, the... just Tom Hiddleston stood there, kind of like raising an eyebrow both of them i can only imagine like like you shouldn't have signed up for this the thing
4: about that scene (laughs) the thing about that scene is like they fall through a portal into dr strange's house and then through a portal into reshoot norway Mm. you could cut out the middle of that sequence and they fall through a portal from new york to reshoot norway and the film does not change
3: there is there is a comparison that i would make with um specifically with specific parts of this film which is that um we'll we'll come to it in more detail but the stuff on sakar more than a lot of things really makes me think of hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy <laughs> but um, yeah. also the fact that so much of the plot of this film is right these characters need to be in the next place now let's send them there is also like hitchhiker
1: <laughs> When you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring
0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
3: <laughs>
5: to the galaxy.
3: There's no interest in figuring out how they're going to get from place to place. It's just, right, we'll send them there through a magic portal now.
2: Again, you almost wish that Taika Waititi would make a joke out of that stuff. Like, Oh, we're going here now. You know, just do which a is bit. pretty much
3: what Douglas Adams did with Hitchhikers. It was yeah. just, yeah. Okay, next one, next little vignette. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: and 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 let's poke fun of it. So they go, they go, they go to Norway. They do like they have the very bo- boring conversation with Odin, where he's like, "I'm dying now because <laughs>
5: because <and> reasons."
2: <laughs> yeah, and we and here we, I go. Well, and, and because because again, I was in the previous films. Uh, it's it's come down from Kevin Feige there's two of us are allowed to stay and it's Idris and it's Tom and that's just, we, we have to deal with that
4: the contract it's is fine. up and they I've can't afford it anymore
2: I've wanted out of here for quite some time Natalie Portman would not give me a lift <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I, I thought like uh, on paper I don't hate that there's a cameo in this movie given the movie that you end up making Doctor Strange doesn't feel like the right one. No. And, like, uh, I was saying, like, who who does serve the purpose of what they wanted Doctor Strange to do there? Probably Doctor Selvig. Probably Jane and Doctor Selvig and Darcy. And that would, have, for me, been a nice way to kind of, like, wave them aside in a less... At least they didn't throw Jane under the bus in that scene, like, a, like the way that M- Michael Bay wrote out uh, Megan Fox's character yeah, in the Jesus. Transformers franchise. That kind of, like, ugh. Kind of... Mm, you're having a dig at the actor there. I don't think there's any bad blood. I think it was just... Jane didn't work for the Thor movies and Thor didn't work for Natalie Portman. So, I'm fine with it. Yeah, I mean, but I, I mean, do like, wonder, if, the... if there had to be another superhero, could it not have been... I don't know, someone who felt like they, their quippy nature could fit in with this movie? <laughs> like, I, I'd, I'd have rather it been like Tony Stark blowing them off for five seconds. Or... You know, the inevitable, as we know we're going to get, this, this Star-Lord and Thor crossover. Obviously, that wouldn't work on Earth, but, you know, like, Doctor Strange felt like the wrong superhero to put in this one.
3: It was just basically because he was the most recent new one, isn't it? Well, it's, That's yeah, as- it's because
4: they already and, yeah. did that scene, and they already put yeah. it in the credits, <laughs> and they had to do it now, like...
2: Well, and and obviously Doctor Strange is probably the only Marvel character who hasn't crossed over with the rest
4: of them, mm-hmm. and that this is their only chance to do I it. I mean, there wasn't an... before Infinity War. Interestingly, it was a different take in this film than they put on the credits. Oh, was yeah. it? Yeah, because mm. like I, yeah, I know that scene well enough to be like that was a different take of the same same mm. material.
2: Yeah. Was it was it was it noticeably
4: like how noticeably? Uh, well, was I mean, it? if Seb noticed, then obviously noticeably enough. It was all the delivery. I don't think it was so much there. No, I'm, not, I'm saying like <laughs> it's not just me being like
2: super sensitive.
3: Yeah. Like it's. No, I just
2: wondered yeah. whether it was that. I just assumed it, it was different. the context of the scene had changed, and so I was kind of going, okay.
3: No, the angles and stuff were different. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah.
2: Okay. Fair enough. Okay, yeah, so, so we've, kind of, we've kind of hopped around and we've had all this nonsense and this is, <clears throat> this is the bit that I don't understand about the movie. I don't understand why we are dicking around with the canon of the first two movies in terms of Asgard and Thor and Loki. And like, okay, and so there's this history that exists before Thor and Loki where actually they have an older sister and that's Cate Blanchett. And Thor and Hela kind of went around and conquered these realms. I and and Odin in Hella sorry and and then he just imprisoned Hella and no one spoke about it ever again um even though like presumably all asgardians are to some degree immortal and have been around for eons and eons but it was never mentioned to Thor or Loki because it happened before they were born and <laughs> and, and and it just it, there was never any reference to it it just it feels it feels canon like i said it feels like it's flirting with breaking canon and I don't understand why any of that needs to exist, given that they don't do anything with it. I mean I
3: think it's I think it's there is it's the theme or at least the the attempt at the theme of the film is i think about empires and and what empires are generally built on, and the fact that mm-hmm. even something as as good and seemingly benevolent as Asgard is not going to have been built on anything good because that's mm. just not how it works. And and that as a theme and that as something to explore, I think is potentially really interesting. The but the problem is that that's not the movie that they're making. Yeah, uh, yeah. so it's that, there, that almost feels but like the mo- But the, you know, this is a light-hearted movie about Thor battling the Hulk on an alien planet. I mean, that's But I that's still, what we've come I still for. think
2: <laughs> even even with all of that stuff, I still think you could do all of that stuff and her not be the sister. The sister, if anything, to me, kind of undermines the Thor Loki <clears> stuff, <throat> and like the fact that it's never going to be as resonant to those two characters as their relationship is with each other. The fact that they've got a sister, but they don't really care that she's their sister.
3: I, say, I mean, yeah, the, the the fact that she's a, a sister is it's kind of irrelevant to anything that happens in the film. So why? Um, so I just don't I mean, I feel like it, it was I, all, just all, all just it seems a... to be doing is drawing on the recent precedent of a secret Thor and Loki sister, which in the comics is Angela. <laughs> uh, I mean, it was also.
4: It's just it's a deliberate attempt to echo the kind of family drama of the first Thor film which worked so well like that was the thing that worked about it wasn't it
2: so I was just I was as disinterested here as when it happened in Sherlock said, <laughs> and that was like when it happened I was like oh like literally we've just seen Benedict Cumberbatch and now this is happening huh weird um <laughs> so yeah I didn't really care I mean she destroys near, and that was that's kind of like the first point at which I was like Okay, well, yeah, but they're not. Mjolnir's not destroyed, right? Because Mjolnir's awesome. Why would. We wouldn't. We wouldn't get rid of Mjolnir. So I'm assuming that at some point it's going to get scrubbed and that Mjolnir is fine and he's going to (sighs) come
4: back. I mean, I almost don't want to say this, but then. You might want to cut this, but in the Infinity War, like, behind the scenes leaks, like, he's swanning around with Mjolnir as if nothing ever happened, so. Well, fuck for that, because.
2: Honestly, no, that, was the, me was, that like, was the
3: death in this film that I was no, the most excited about. I, I like the thing about the power is actually in him. Yeah, me too. And like, oh, I, yes, I, I, I really like, that. like
4: the idea that they might go to some of Thor's other weapons, like Jan Bjorn or you know, whatever the spear is called, or like,
2: yeah, but you don't have the
4: to Odin kill sword. The like, panel. you know, do something new, do something fun. Like, you've got all this mythology. Do that. Give him the Warhammer from Ultimate Thor to, or whatever.
2: You don't have to kill him, though, James. That's Mjolnir. Mjolnir, mjolnir. You don't have to kill him. I honestly, I was more upset about that than the deaths <laughs> that followed. So when the Warriors Three go down, I was like,
4: eh, okay. <laughs> so, I want to see mo- <laughs> want to see like a retrospective montage of one of the best Mjolnir moments on the DVD, like Mjolnir getting hung on a hook, like Vision picking up Mjolnir, <laughs> all that stuff."
2: When when we went to the Thor: The Dark World press screening, I took my wife, my wife, <laughs> and um, we. Uh, <laughs> they gave us little uh squidgy like stress ball kind of mienes, and the amount of times that i have picked that up after finding it randomly kind of like in a drawer thrown it at my wife and shouted mienie, <laughs> and then me as surprised as thought when it returned to me by being thrown at me by my wife saying stop throwing
4: that <laughs> we're getting a real insight into your home life <laughs>
2: I'm just incredibly immature. (laughs) (laughs) And will continue to be But yeah, so Hela comes back to Asgard. (laughs) I'm just going to move on with the plot and we're going to ignore the fact of what a child I am. (laughs) She goes back to Asgard. She kind of, she kills everyone. It's it's all really boring. She kills everyone. She makes a friend in Karl Urban, who is terrible in this movie. What? Hang
4: Hang on, shut your mouth.
2: The character's terrible. He's He's disinteresting. No, oh, his arc is one more. Of the intri- most, his one arc. of the most tone deaf moments in a Marvel movie where he unleashes his two fucking assault rifles on Asgard. No, as if it's this, that's, uh, that's lifted no, directly no, from that, the comics. Okay, that's that, from, that that the a comic. care, it's, from the comics. I don't care. It's horrible visual. No, um, no it's no, funny. It's not. It's very funny. It's it's a by the numbers like character arc, and it's. I just think it's a bad performance. I think I think Kate pr I think Kate Blanchett's pretty bad as well. They give her nothing oh, to do. No, no.
4: Do, but she
2: is. She is a. She looks awesome. She looks really great, but like they give her nothing. No, to No, that's the point. Teeth they give
4: her nothing to do, and yet she still fucking chews the scenery like they've given her Shakespeare. Yeah. Like she's amazing. I will not hear a word against that performance.
2: Mm, I, I didn't think she was very good. No, Incorrect.
3: You won't often hear these words on these podcasts, but I'm a hundred percent with James <laughs> all of that. <laughs> Which is ironic because we're talking about the bit of the film that's generally the not so good bit, but I think I mean God, if it wasn't for those two, like all of the stuff on got. Yeah, would
4: well be imagine for example, if that was Christopher Eccleston in black and white makeup. How yeah. boring would that be? Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. I actually, I, I sent, uh, I was texting Reese about this, about the film afterwards, and uh, he kind of like, he asked me what I thought about it, and I was like, Sakar stuff, amazing, plot needlessly com- com- uh, complicated, couple of brilliant performances, couple of absolute duds, and he, he was like, right, which are the ones? And I was like, well, obviously, Hemsworth is amazing, Taika Waititi's amazing, Jeff Goldblum's amazing, Mark Ruffalo, the duds... Carl Urban, Idris Elba, Kate Blanchett, and Tessa Thompson for me just completely sank.
3: You uh... are... Hang on, did you just say Tessa Thompson? <laughs> yes,
2: it is a right. it is a it is a performance right. that is it, right. that is absolutely <laughs> sunk. Seb, I'll, let, a, I'll let you have this one incapable... since I had the last one. She's incapable of delivering any dialogue in that accent because the the accent completely takes over the performance. The accent becomes just like. She, she can't
5: she,
3: her, she her, can't her deliver she can't deliver a character is...
2: through it she's it's like the entire thing the entire performance is grappling with that
3: no the, the entire performance has nothing to do with like her her voice or or what she's saying it, it is entirely in body language and confidence yep. and action and awesomeness
2: also, I love her. If nothing in almost else, everything else I've seen her in, I thought she was terrible. Like
4: here. I quite like the wonkiness of the accent because it's like she's a uh, like this kind of pure Valkyrie who's lost her way, and that's why mm. she's not talking like a like a Valkyrie.
3: They actually, well, they did say that apparently deliberately. They went for something that was meant to give the but impression was, that she'd been away for a while.
4: There you go. Mm-hmm. But, I do, but, but
3: uh,
2: it, that suggests to me. She couldn't sort the accent, I mean, so we came spe- up with an excuse. Speaking as
3: somebody who has a really weird accent because they've <laughs> lived away from where they grew up and then moved back there again, like I'll, uh, I'll defend that one. <laughs> I would have
2: just like to just let just let her perform with her normal accent. Why does that? Why does Valkyrie have to have any anything approaching a British accent? Could it not? Could we just not say? Oh, like yeah, there's the, the Valkyries lived on a different part of Asgard, so they don't they don't sort like. I don't know. I just, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm willing to be hammered for this. I just thought, I thought the performance. Was I mean, nice
4: wh- and, <laughs> if if we're gonna talk unpopular performance and like unpopular opinions, the performance I was least happy with was Jeff Goldblum because he was he's just playing himself. <laughs> but, uh, he was just like amping it up to such a ridiculous degree.
2: See, I was happy with that because I was just like, this isn't a performance. And that's fine by me. But what it is, is Jeff Goldblum being Jeff Goldblum in a situation where all you need him to be is Jeff Goldblum. And honestly, I don't think that's him amping it up. If you've ever seen him give any interview <laughs> ever, like it's not, the guy is just turned on all of the time. And he is that, he's that level of eccentric. And I'm not sure where I mentioned this before, but I have met Jeff Goldblum in person. and that, <laughs> and that is You know, it's never that, come up. I felt like I'm uh, like that version of the carrots they're watching there is pretty much the guy that we met. Like the way, like he, the way that he plays, he played the piano when we were watching <laughs> him on stage, just with this like carefree abandon of a guy who was in his own world and didn't re- wasn't really concerned with what the people around. him. <laughs> I mean, thought of the him.
4: problem is for me is that they gave him too much leeway, and when he's in those scenes, he just consumes them like there's no room for anyone else or anything else, and there's too much of it.
2: I think I disagree, James. Uh, I think that there are many scenes where where the other actors, particularly Hemsworth, are able to hold their own in scenes with Goldblum.
3: But uh, I, 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 get think, it. I get the criticism. I, I, think they, I think they overdo it. Not overdo the performance. I think they overdo using him. Yep. I think when you've had the initial stuff with him, that's kind of enough. And then he's just doing the same thing for yeah, the rest of He just of keeps it. coming and back. certainly... When you get to the post-credits, now, I say this as somebody who loved the Captain America one from Homecoming, but that post credit scene was absolutely not... If I wasn't the kind of person who liked to stay through the credits of films that I've enjoyed anyway, that would not have been worth waiting for. <laughs> we, me and James are saying off, it feels like that's what we've approached with Marvel
2: now. It's a mid credit scene that sets up the next movie, and you can leave if you want to then. We're not going to make you wait until the end of the credits. Yeah. At the end of the credits, you're going to get a jokey little aside.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: But this yeah. this was a bad, jokey little aside.
2: I yeah. Thought. Okay. Well, right. So back to the plot. In terms of all the middle of the movie stuff, I think we do. Do we need to talk about anything that happens on Asgard? Heimdall's kind of hiding people. <laughs> Hela gets herself a wolf. She kills just about everyone, and then we just kind of semi pointlessly flash back there once every ten minutes to remind you that she's still it's a threat, yeah. and, and why she's still a threat because she is, and and why she wanting to do this bad bad she's got a big wolf why she got a big wolf cuz it might look cool, might look cool. It's
4: the hell wolf it's iconic
2: okay <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll I'll take your word for that yeah so basically the stuff that we the the stuff that's great from here on in is all of the stuff on the trash planet on
3: Sakar mm. where from the moment he goes through that tunnel which with the um pure imagination
4: it's almost it's almost like the film needed to start with him landing on that planet hmm.
2: yeah and and his kind of like his scene where he's dangling explaining something to uh serta he's actually dangling explaining the plot of the movie so far yeah to bruce banner or to the grandmaster or to and serta He just, he just I,
4: you know thread it in that way
2: yeah be and that can be maybe like a flash forward to the end of the movie mm-hmm. or something i don't know yeah um. Yeah, but uh, I mean, so there's stuff on that planet. So we get, it's loosely the Planet Hulk stuff in that there is an arena and the Hulk is fighting in that arena. Um, there's like monuments to past champions, isn't there? And one of them is Beta Ray Bill, I think. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Are we read the other two identifiable? I, I, wasn't sure.
4: I, couldn't, I couldn't notice that. them. The problem is I've only seen it once. They weren't on screen long enough for me to clock anything.
3: Yeah, I think you get two shots of it, and yeah. so like the second time, I was like, "Oh, there's Bill." But yeah, then couldn't figure out what the others were. I don't know if one was possibly like a Nova type helmet, um, but I'd need to see it again.
2: I think James Gunn has talked explicitly about wanting to bring in Nova eventually, <laughs> um, so I think I think that's a Phase Four thing that we probably we probably will see uh, at some point. But I mean, that the, I think the the stuff in the arena and that kind of plot. So he talks about Goldblum. Goldblum gets to do his... He gets to do his Goldblum. And then it's a case of like, okay, now Thor is going to go down and have to fight the Hulk. We know it's the Hulk. Uh, the rest of the, the movie doesn't know it's the Hulk. And the reaction of Thor that we saw in the trailer is wonderful. I didn't think that would be the my second favorite reaction to the introduction of Hulk, which is Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Loki I, I really
3: absolutely the, shitting himself. The, having given us the Thor reaction in the trailers, they held back the Loki yeah. reaction yeah. to make that that it actually better. Work. And you knew <laughs> before it came that it was going to be better as well. <laughs> That's mm. the
4: the now you know how it feels. <laughs> like yeah. I love that moment. <laughs> Yeah. What did you think of the actual
2: fight itself? Was it, was it kind of stick in with the rest of the action in this film in that like yeah, it's fine but it's I I don't know, I think you,
3: I felt like it could have been there could have been more of I thought, struggled you know, to remember fight. a single beat from it. Mm. Just on yeah. actually on, on the note of action, not not specific to this scene, but something that is a common thread throughout the action. It seems like it seems like the Asgardian training method of fighting Involves doing that head over heels flip thing through the air where the camera <laughs> follows you from above because I'm pretty sure every single Asgard major Asgardian character does that at some point in this film. <laughs> so, so they have a fight and it's all right, it's
2: fine. But I think the, uh, we uh, we can agree the best stuff that comes out of the arena is Cog.
5: <laughs> yes.
2: We haven't mentioned Korg at all yet, and I can only assume it's because we all want to hold it back as basically (laughs) my favorite thing about this movie was Korg and Meek. (laughs) <laughs> Meek just, just by virtue of being there, the gag at the end with Korg oh, and Meek <laughs> slayed me. Absolutely slayed oh, no, Meek's
5: me. Did? <laughs> oh no, you were alive.
3: <laughs> I did warn I was going to end up doing bad Corg impressions through a lot of this. But, oh. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's great, isn't I, it? I think it's, I think it's a little rude of Taika Waititi to actually give himself. All the best comic <laughs> material
2: in this film, rather than or all is he just actors, but. is he just the funniest? Like you know, <laughs> it's 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 unfair how funny the the cog bits are. And, and so what he said he's he's he modelled the character on Kiwi bouncers who are normally these big enormous men, but kind of like are then very softly spoken when they open their mouths. But yeah, he's basically like stuck a colloquial kiwi stereotype foremost into a marvel <coughs> movie to, made them a rock monster um and yeah and every second he turns up on screen it's a joke it's it's a joke that never gets old i i said before the podcast there was a and i said this in the spoiler free section that there were, there were certain times like when the basketball bounced against the window and went back and hit thor i was like I feel like I've seen a version of that joke 10 or 15 times in this film so far and and also that that kind of the undermining of the manly hero in his in his very manly grandstanding moment is something that the MCU has been doing since the Avengers since the the kind of the Hulk punching Thor the first time around uh the the, the stuff that felt very Taika Waititi was the stuff that it didn't matter how many times it did it, it felt fresh, mm. and you couldn't imagine how another director could ape that those parts of the humour in the way that other Marvel directors and writers have tried to ape the Joss Whedon style of humour in the you know ten films since since the Avengers. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, I do. I do want to point out actually um, the thing about characters getting undermined. Only applies to the big established characters. So, because if you think to if you think of like Korg and uh, uh, Scourge, is it Scourge? Carl Urban. Yeah. Skull. Skull. Um. <laughs> and Valkyrie, they all get their like unfettered hero moments. It's only like Loki and Thor and the Hulk who get the taken down a peg. And that's something I found interesting in that the film is punching upwards.
2: Well, I guess, but that so all Thor and Hulk and Loki are all characters that have been introduced as these kind of like big either heroes or villains before. Whereas Valkyrie and Korg and Scourge all kind of get introduced with these kind of like so Valkyrie is she's a hero, but she's also kind of like a drunk and a fallen hero and Uh, as as I think the film the people involved with the film have been fairly explicit they wanted her to be the Han Solo of the film (laughs) Uh, I think unsuccessfully but there we go Um, Scourge is kind of introduced as this (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Scourge is introduced as this um, like slightly creepy kind of like very obviously lame guy uh, who's through some, like, low-key, es- low-key bureaucracy has managed to get this important job on Asgard. <laughs> um, and Korg is just, he's, he's faintly ridiculous by his very nature, you know? So, like, we d- we don't really need to take them down and well, that's, deconstruct them that's in I, It's almost like they start lower status and then we turn them into yeah, heroes that's as the I, film progresses. Like,
4: I liked that he wasn't just taking people down a peg, he was also building people up.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I think, and I think that does work work really nicely um what do you actually think about the intro the the relationship between hulk and bruce banner on asgard and oh sorry hulk and bruce banner well that kind of as well thor and hulk and thor and bruce banner because that we kind of get that in two halves i thought the thor and hulk stuff was really really strong and i thought the thor and banner stuff fell a bit flatter than i expected it to
4: it's tough to say isn't it because the the version of banner in this film is essentially a new character (laughs) and it like we said before it's just mark ruffalo doing his comedy mark ruffalo stuff like as none of the kind of sadness or tragedy of bruce banner to date which is weird so this is the thing again that i thought the stakes
2: of the film the, the kind of the comedy of the film suck the stakes out of the fact that we're literally talking about for the first time ever bruce banner going shit what wait a minute did have i been hulk for a number of years and i just wasn't in control of my body Mm -hmm. at all that's terrifying like and it wait i feel and he he literally
4: says out loud i worry that if i change again I might not ever be able to change back well, I mean they go the thing is and they go further than that. They even have him say like, Oh, something's changed, like if I change again I won't change back and that for me felt really artificial because it was like they invented these stakes with no actual basis. Like it's not it's not that he's worried it won't happen, it's just he flat out says, If I change again I'm not gonna change back.
2: I think he says I might not change back. I think he's like saying, I don't know, I feel like I've lost control of the Hulk
4: um so and fair enough if you want, like we can split hairs on that because I, have, I haven't seen it enough times to be sure but my,
2: my point is the tone of the film doesn't make that seem like a terrifying proposition yeah when it, it feels it like it's something should. it feels like it should be something that dominates that
0: the, the, the character yeah. arc of bruce Banner like, to have in lost this film.
4: to have lost two years like in in the planet hulk comic there's a the thing that bruce banner is actively staying inside the hulk because he knows, basically, he won't survive if he comes out. Because, like, is mm-hmm. that dangerous.
3: Well, sort of related to that, because this is an interesting question. And I think as a, as a Hulk specialist, James, you can maybe <laughs> answer this. So, it's probably not right to think of the Hulk in terms of being similar to something like the way it works with Miracle Man or, or Captain Marvel. It's not that, mm-hmm. that Banner and the Hulk swap places. Even so, like, given what happens to Banner before he last transforms into the hulk like if he transformed back to banner would he be like mortally injured or would he have recovered by virtue of having transformed into the hulk uh
4: yeah, yeah
2: like basically the rules of this film he he's fine yeah if like
4: <laughs> and the rules of the comic are that if bruce banner is injured like the hulk has accelerated healing so turning into the hulk won't right. save him to the point where like if Bruce Banner tries to kill himself, he turns into the Hulk and he's fine.
2: Yeah, it was uh, that that gag did land for me. Yeah. I thought it was. <laughs> yeah. I, I I half saw it coming, but it was yeah, it was it was worth it. I saw
3: it coming, but I didn't see it being executed quite the way it was (laughs) it's quite draw breath sort of (laughs) yeah oh god
2: um i think that i think most of the jokes with the hulk in this worked. i love the i love the fact that the hulk is being played as a petty toddler and i love the fact that the version of thor that we're getting in this movie is someone who will genuinely get into get into into, with a petty toddler
4: (laughs) he's not an intellectual match for the hulk
2: yeah, I I loved all of that. I I loved the stuff at the end where he tries to attack Serta mm-hmm. and Hulk Thor was like just like Hulk Hulk no please no <laughs> like the thing I all of the that thing stuff I liked, was great. I just the banner stuff just didn't really work. The
4: thing I liked was that the Hulk actually talked because I've been waiting for th- yes. to see that on screen for so long. Who was doing that? Because I didn't see Lufrino in the credits. Was that was that Ruffalo or
2: was
3: yeah, that it's Ruffalo? Isn't it?
4: I guess it must have been.
2: Which is great because I was about to go I wanted to come out of the film going, Oh yeah, like Furinho's still got it. But yeah, the the, the Hulk talking was <laughs> spot on. Uh I yeah, I thought it was I thought it was great. Uh, and I, I, I you know, that's that's the kind of stuff when we're on Sakar and we're bouncing from a scene with Thor and Hulk kind of bantering at each other to like the Grandmaster's stuff to Korg popping up to just drop a, another joke in for a second to exploring the Thor-Loki relationship for a little bit more I, I just I i was I was living for that stuff and even at the even the stuff that I didn't think was quite as successful like I say I, I don't like Valkyrie didn't work for me the performance didn't work for me but it wasn't like she like destroyed scenes for me it was more that I really liked Tessa Thompson, and I was surprised by how little it did work for me. Um,
3: Oh, I just, I just from from the point at which she staggers off that spaceship,
5: (laughs) um,
3: you know. I, I I said the pretty much the only thing I allowed myself to say on Twitter afterwards um, to avoid spoiling this podcast was that um, you know, especially given that there's a lot of Kieran Gillen in this film. She is the most Jamie McKelvey thing I've ever seen on a screen, just in terms of aesthetic. <laughs> yeah, and certainly in terms of design. <laughs> yeah, yeah, mm. um, and yeah, I just think she's awesome <laughs> and a lot of fun.
2: We'll just um, have to agree-, agree to disagree here.
3: I mean, I, um, I, I, I think she makes up for the lack of Sif, basically, in terms of yeah, fulfilling that sure. role that that Sif j- generally had in the first film.
2: Yeah, it's a shame because I've always liked Sif and I feel like that it, basically I feel like if she had have been available, Jamie Alexander Sif would have died as well. Um I mean they could have I, I can't see I can't see what use this franchise has for Lady Sif anymore.
4: I almost feel like they could have done that character as Sif instead, like where's Sif been for the last 2 years? Oh, she landed on Sakaar and she's become this like drunken you know scrappy... Having said
2: that, I I I don't know if I could see jamie alexander playing that at least I, I didn't think tess thompson was great but at least i i, I do kind of on a on a fundamental level by that character yeah
4: i mean what, what happened to jamie alexander was she went to the tv world and wasn't allowed back because she appeared yeah, in and, of shield
2: well and, and also she's she's got a very big successful show with blind spot <laughs> which i think <laughs> takes a lot of a lot of her time um I, I think the the person that I just that I, I, I don't feel can be given enough credit in this film, though, is Chris Hemsworth. Whose performance, you know, he, he he's in every frame of this. His interactions with every character are hilarious. I mean, Korg would be funny walking around in his own, but it's beneficial for Taika Waititi that he's getting to perform opposite Hemsworth. And I can't believe I didn't know this and didn't have my th- this thought of myself. But Chris Hemsworth cited the character of Jack Burton from Big Trouble in Little China as an influence for the character.
5: <laughs>
2: That's why I loved it so that much. right? right. Finally, we finally got the Marvel film where they've done what I've said I want them to do the whole time, which is to set up the ostensible hero of the film as actually the least competent of everyone. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, I, it, if anything, I just wish the plot had followed through on that so when the fight was happening on... Asgard, that it was someone else's idea for how to take the ca- take the guy down, or you know, Thor failed more badly than he did. That was another thing where I just didn't buy the So I was like, okay, so when's he getting his eye back? I, I'm, I'm just assuming that at some point in the Infinity War, all of these dead characters come back. Thor's eyes returned, Mjolnir's returned, everything. I just didn't buy any of it. I mean, the, the only problem- thing I don't, and the one thing I don't want to come back is his hair because. I mean I'm not saying anything against long haired Hemsworth. But Chris Hemsworth with short hair with the like hacked bits into the into his temples. That's sexy, you guys. <laughs> he looks real sexy.
3: Um I'm 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 gonna bow to the opinion of, of my wife, who is an expert in fancying Chris Hemsworth, and I think she's disappointed by the lack of hair. I don't know if she changed really? her opinion after seeing the whole film rather than the trailers. I haven't asked her yet.
4: I but, mean it was a big shock um, in the trailers, wasn't it? But Yeah. I think it grew on me. It
3: it
2: it, it Pushed all the right buttons for uh, for me. <laughs> I mean, I think part of the he problem... He was my big crush of this movie. Part
4: of the problem with the stakes is that because of what we've seen in previous Marvel films, like, have there been any big status quo changes? Especially negative ones, which stuck, like, people die and come back to life all the time. So when Thor loses an eye, you're like, yeah, he'll be back. Yeah, and and, and that is a there's been
2: multiple times in previous films right where i've been like don't go back on this and so i kind of like the i think the Groot one is the one that's worked the best in that we've not gone back on it but we've actually you know we're saying this is this is almost like a different character there is a version of Groot, but the one that you saw in the first movie is
4: yeah there. although they but you know <laughs> various know
2: various other ones that they've wheeled back on have been incredibly frustrating mm-hmm.
4: i mean we only know that because james gunn keeps saying it on twitter <laughs> yeah like if you watch yeah. the two films it's not at all clear that baby group uh, no. isn't group
2: I mean I guess but only because he's a baby so he's acting like a child yeah, exactly. rather than a, I, I think the I mean like it says it all I think that I don't think they should bring back Peggy Carter at all <laughs> unless unless it's to continue her 50s 60s sad adventures I, I don't want Peggy coming back to life for the Marvel franchise <laughs> and I, I generally don't want that. I just... It was just... I think it was the tone of this movie. I just wanted... Like, so when Nick Fury dies, I felt in Captain America, The Winter Soldier, I feel the stakes of that, and I believe he's dead. And I, I and I think in that movie, it was a mistake to play it as a... As kind of like a, you know, Fake like, out. he's dead. Yeah. Oh, no, he's not, actually. Um, in this movie, I didn't believe it, and they stuck.
1: Which is <laughs> yeah, strange. Which is a and problem. It, just,
2: it's, it speaks... To, I just think it speaks to the the stakes that the film's tone establishes, and you're probably right, James. It probably does have something to do with the way the MCU has functioned before. But I also I didn't want a lot of these things to stick. I didn't. I don't. I don't want those characters just to be swept under the carpet. I I like. I don't have a huge amount of affection for Volstagg and Fandral, but I felt like they deserved a little bit more than that. I,
4: the thing is, like, they're as guardians, so it's hardwired into their mythology that they'll come back to life. So I sort of... Those yeah. deaths especially, I think, if any deaths are going to get reversed, that's, eas- that's the easiest to do. The thing that interests me is that, like, Thor's- Thor losing an eye was essentially them saying, like, well, Thor's turned into Odin now like he is mm. the new Odin like he's he's the leader of people and he's missing his eye that's just the new to... thing for him and
2: i wanted at the end of the film i wanted loki to become the new i wanted loki to like embrace the leadership and put okay, so right Okay so
3: i this i time. have a third option cuz i thought I, I was genuinely surprised that thor just willingly accepted the throne i thought that yes. thor was going to abolish the concept of the throne Me too. install I... heimdall as the leader that they would have all <laughs> wanted because Heimdall was the guy who they spent the whole film actually following. I
2: mean when he sat down. down when when she said your throne and he sat in it, I was stunned. Okay. Yeah. I mean it was it, it was quite nice because it felt like a, the film Can, I make, a, can
4: I make a can I make a point about how I read that scene though? Because she on. says, Your throne, he sits down, but he's facing the same direction as his people. And that to me felt like a very deliberate like this is a different Thor because previous kings have sat in front of them. They've all looked at him, and he's like, "I'm leading you okay. in this direction." Like I, I, the imagery of that scene was like very a... clear to me. In that, Thor is not going to be an Odin king. He's going to be a different no, type of not, king.
2: But but he well, is it still felt a like this is this was Captain Kirk Thor. <laughs> yeah, you know, like literally <laughs> the way he sat in his chair in in that chair, looking out into space with the, with his kind of like team around him.
3: Oh man, as, he's as like a side, my
4: brother had that, a spaceship. Film... I'm going to have a spaceship. <laughs>
3: That film was. Uh, I caught the start of that on TV not long ago, and oh. Chris Hemsworth doing an American accent is the most distracting thing I've <laughs> seen in a good while. Is it—is it as distracting
2: as seeing Tessa Thompson do this accent?
3: Hey-oh! <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, yes, oh, no way, more so. <laughs> that
5: one.
2: Um, uh, another thing I should mention on delightful Chris Hemsworth moments him imitating um, Black
3: Widow doing the (laughs) go to sleep thing what I liked about that was that he kept trying it and it didn't work
4: (laughs) (laughs) that is is a weird thing like that was one of several jokes in this film that require you to have an encyclopedic knowledge of previous Marvel films like I think more more than any other Marvel film this is one that's gone like You've seen all the others, right? And just treated that as as fact.
2: Yeah. I'm wondering... I I mean, I I think probably... I think it probably has happened on more occasions. Um, I was listening to a podcast today just where someone was uh, kind of complaining or was recounting a tale of someone complaining about Spider-Man Homecoming requiring knowledge of Civil War to have have kind of got the premise and the setup. Uh, I guess. I mean... But yeah, I mean that's just a joke, isn't it? You can probably just flash past it, but there's probably other stuff in here that we haven't even considered that does the same thing.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Um is there anything we haven't talked about you guys? I feel like we kind of we kind of have referenced the final act mostly. I guess I guess it's 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 a lot of the jokes, isn't it? It's stuff like the um what's the game that Thor and Loki play?
3: Oh, um what is it like sort of help no not help me or help
2: me or it is something oh, yeah, like help yeah. me get I'm help
3: get help. That's, get help yeah we're not doing get help
2: that's 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 really funny I, and,
3: and that's what i really like with those with those two is that it's it's the sort of you know the fact that they have the backstory and the understanding and the fact that loki is a liar is actually of benefit to thor sometimes and is you mm. know is is actually a part of of their relationship
2: yeah oh and oh and i loved them refer them calling thor calling them the revengers (laughs) (laughs) it did i was like give me give me revengers age of korg please uh i (laughs) watch the hell out of that or infinity korg or infinity korg part two infinity korg Uh, any of those films i will take
4: did you notice it did the same beat as spider Man homecoming where they were like blah 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 if you cared you'd actually be here oh you are here what was that uh, because thor thor says to loki something like blah 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 blah." if you're changed you'd be here and then he throws a thing at him and he actually is here oh yeah yeah and spider-man homecoming did that with iron man in the suit the suit yeah Mm.
2: i think it was just i think that that scene um didn't really register with me because at the time i just assumed that loki was there (laughs) yeah 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 um so yeah there was a, there was a bunch there's a bunch of that kind of stuff that i like but i think by the time you get towards the end of the sakar stuff and they're doing the spaceship escape and they're doing the um that they get to asgard and all, all of the kind of fighting's going on there and we're flashing back to the odin stuff again and, and i think most of the stuff there, there are still moments there are still nice moments in there the you know the occasional little gags um I mean, Seb, you said it worked a little bit better for you in the third act. Um, the kind of the the mix of the the action and the the tiger humor and all that kind of stuff. I think it was just for for me, it was like funny little aside. That's good. And then uh, are they still fighting? And like I they said, are, the scourge, I... the scourge stuff really felt.
3: Well, I think I think yeah. Now that I know that you don't like the scourge stuff, I think I could see why you don't like that as much. Um, I just I like. But of the... the
2: guns of it, I don't.
3: Hmm yeah it's one of those where yeah
2: do do, do Um, they need to be there I.
3: but i think it's um i think it's just when you when you finally get to putting the characters who've carried all the good stuff throughout the film into the bit of the film that's not really been working they make that bit of the film work better yeah And, and and a lot of stuff i think a lot of stuff gets paid off quite well in in those final scenes
2: i tell you what this does make me think. I think a lot... One of my hopes, one of my great hopes for Infinity War is that they figured out the kind of faceless minions thing. (laughs) Because I think when Joss Whedon first did it in the Avengers with, okay, lots of aliens, they're all kind of... But, like, they had had the minions, they had the big ships, and they just had (laughs) the the portal in the sky, and it was... Yeah, (laughs) that's what I'm calling, the little little minion Chitauri. And (laughs) uh, uh, that was... That was fine. I thought it worked well. When he did the same thing again with all of the Ultron bots, I was like, Ugh. yeah. And then, and then again here, you're kind of you're fighting against all of these just undead, just like it, it. Yeah, and it it has that video gamey feel, doesn't it? Like, eventually you get to the boss, but you've got to mow down all of these very, very easily defeated people here and there, like things. I think a lot in Infinity War is going to rest on how well they execute the idea of the Black Order. And that it's not just Thanos and this kind of army. Yeah. I mean, the post credits sting here with the big ship, is that suggesting that he's bringing some. Okay, James,
3: on? do you know what this is meant to be? Because I have no idea. It's what just Thanos' meant to be, ship. Other than, isn't is it, it like, Thanos? That's
2: what yeah. I assumed, yeah.
4: It's just Thanos' ship. Like it, The thing is, it's not even a design that's been used, as far as I know.
2: No, yeah, exactly. no, I didn't.
4: But it, what else can it be like?
2: Do you know the only reason it looked familiar to me was it looked like uh, a ship. It, it, I think it looked slightly like Ronan's ship.
4: <laughs> I thought know, it looked from... a bit like it had a kind of angry face on it.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's a weird scene. Is not <laughs> thing it? is like
4: like Thanos doesn't have a spaceship; he has a helicopter. <laughs> so, unless you're going to do the Thanos copter.
2: He just has a, a levitating throne, doesn't he?
4: <laughs> In the comics yes. he has a helicopter. Okay. Uh but do you know what I mean,
2: once we get to Infinity War, I I, I feel like this this whole like fighting off minions who are easily defeatable is is not gonna be good enough. You've got to come up with proper threats for all of our Avengers. And if that is turning the first film into a scavenger hunt and the occasional battle with these Black Order. But I think it's going to have to be more than Thanos himself. It's going to have to be actual threats that each of the Avengers can fight and they're going to have to be interesting in and of their own right. Yeah. God, that film's a challenge. I
4: mean, part of me wonders if they're just going to bring back a bunch of villains from previous films and be like, Thanos has the Infinity Gauntlet and he's brought them back to life with Infinity Magic
2: like i've wanted them to red skull red skull i
4: mean red skull's the one who you really want to see again isn't he like because that's that feels the most like unfinished business and also like that cosmic cube thing was clearly him teleporting away so Uh,
2: at the time it was but i think it i don't think you can trust in any marvel kind of teases to be paid off the way that you want them to be paid off. no sure um yeah. Um and and should we talk we we did we did touch on it briefly but that kind of last moment with Thor realizing that the power was inside him all along. It's it's a bit cheesy and cliché but I think it works and I think the visual of it is one of the strongest elements. It like Thor
3: I think it could have done without Hela saying what were you the god of twice. I think if she just said it once, but the fact that she says it twice is almost like, "Come on, you brought this on yourself." And also, what what we what were you the god of thunder? I think yeah, yeah not
4: lightning, like, thunder, not, not lightning. <laughs>
3: no, but-
2: I mean that's one of my favorite. That's one of my favorite um, parts of uh, the Avengers. Uh, favorite one of just the many amazing lines of the Avengers. No, it's not that that I'm scared of. It's what comes after. It's what tends to come after.
3: <laughs> but I, no. But I, well, what's funny about it is she's she's really sneering about. Oh, you're only the god of thunder, and it's like yeah, that's that's quite a big thing. And I mean also the problem power. the
4: problem I have with that though is like she's sneering like you're the god of thunder, I'm the god of death, and it's like yeah, she does win actually. Like death is worse than thunder.
3: <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, that, that has she's, she's reminded just, me because. Um, Sorry, go on, Teb. No, go because I was going to move on to something slightly different. Okay, it's just... I,
2: I just find her conceptually as a character so disinteresting, because the the sister stuff doesn't land. And then, like, okay, she's the goddess of death. If we actually, like... If she comes out of as, like, this ethereal kind of, like, cosmic force who is, like, who is, like the concept of death from the comics, which I think we wondered at some point whether she'd be more, like... I almost think that'd be more interesting than just okay. She is so she's a person who was the daughter of Odin and originally from Asgard. And yes, yeah, she's she's the goddess of death because and she hates everyone because and she's evil because because it's not like she's been locked away and she resents that and she's now evil. It was no, she just turned evil because she like because she well. liked being evil.
5: Like
4: I feel it's like weird. this is this is growing out of the theme of the film, which, as like Seb was saying earlier, it's kind of about empire and the foundations and of empire, and it's like the idea is your paradise is built on subjugation and murder, and as much as you're enjoying it now, there's this dark history that people have covered up, like you know we're all British, we know that mm-hmm. we live in a nice, cushy democracy because our ancestors went around killing half the world and it's like it's not like it's not like it's rubbed into our faces at school or anything like it's a hidden aspect and I feel like that's where this is coming from and kind of especially in the sense that Taika Waititi has that perspective of being an indigenous person whose culture was trampled by the one he lives in now like you Mm. can see where that comes from thematically the problem is it doesn't work narratively
2: yeah, well, it's like I said, I, that that whole empire idea. I did actually think, "Huh, okay, that's interesting." But again, I don't think that she needed to be from it. I think almost it would have been interesting if Odin had died, and there's and they they're kind of like honoring their fallen father, and suddenly they start to find out this stuff that his empire was built on, and that's when Hela emerges as, "Yes, I am this kind of shadow of that." Mm-hmm. Uh, Or like he made some kind of bargain with me back then. Just the the sisters, uh, it feels needlessly complicated.
4: I mean, the weird thing is as well, in the comics, Hela is Loki's daughter. Mm. So like there was, I was having a conversation about this with one of my friends, which is that they couldn't have done that in this film without making the film about it. And so it's mm. weird that they replaced that one thing with another, like that one familial yeah. connection with another. They could have just dropped it entirely.
2: Yeah, and I'll tell you something else that frustrated me: that Valkyrie and um, Hellraiser never get to really have that face-off, do they? Like no. it. The final lights feels like it. Like you know, if there's if there's two people you want to kind of. Because the, the relationship between Thor and Hela never feels like brother-sister. It never feels like it has any emotional stakes. So, But we know that Valkyrie does have those emotional stakes with Hela. Um, I saw, so I, I think I was listening to uh, the Wittertainment podcast, and had, uh, Clarice Lockery was uh, s- sitting in for Kermode last week, and she was answering a question about whether the film had passed the Bechdel test. And I was like, I, d- I don't think it comes anywhere close, actually. You know, for a film that has a a female hero and a and a female villain who ostensibly have some connection. Um,
3: I guess it depends if they exchange any words in that flashback, which I don't think they do. No, definitely not.
2: No, that's, there's there's literally <coughs> only prog rock between them. There, I think.
4: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's an interesting yeah, point so, actually, because so, that that probably makes it the first Marvel film in a while not to pass better. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's interesting. That is interesting. I, I, I mean, I, the beta test is a very imperfect model because I, you know, for oh, all sure. I don't like the character. It's... it's, it's. I mean, like
3: Valkyrie being here, I think is mm-hmm. a lot so more noticeable. Her character doesn't actually really have a name, <laughs> so it's like in every other sense, you know. That's but, true, actually. <laughs> well, I've right. seen
4: reviews I, that, that say like. Valkyrie is playing, like, blah, 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 blah. It's Brunhilde. And it's like, there are four Valkyries. Like, you can't just go to Wikipedia and pick the one you think sounds most likely.
2: Well, yeah, because they're just, they're just calling her yeah, Valkyrie. Yeah, she's just a
4: Valkyrie. Like, there are tons of them in the comics, and there were four specific, like, headlining Valkyrie, So you can't... You can't assume it's any one version.
2: <laughs> no, and I, and I wouldn't even imagine that this is particularly a version nope. from comics. It's just... This is in the MCU films, the last
3: Valkyrie. I suspect so, so she is I just su- Valkyrie because she's the last one.
4: Yeah. yeah, I mean I suspect that very soon there will be this version of the Valkyrie will be showing up in the comics. Because the you know, the version that exists in the Marvel Universe now is still completely unremarkable compared to the version that's in this film. So it's gonna be an Iron Man situation where uh, the comics feed into the film feedback into the comics
2: okay um i think maybe actually this might be a good point for uh, we'll we'll wrap it up with this but talking about valkyrie and we mentioned those like prog rock images um with valkyrie fighting hella uh we should we should probably talk a little bit about the visuals of this film like we said that the action's not that interesting but in terms of some of the sets that they created and some of the like the design of the city of Sakara I thought particularly, and some of those like more proggy images that Taika Waititi shot. Um, it definitely has a distinct feel, and I didn't feel that this was like as I think some people were worried that it was just like now we're in the now we're in the uh, James Gunn section of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> it yeah, felt like it's it felt like it it did create its own visual style. Well it,
3: it it created a visual style that was um Jack Kirby and Walt Simonson mm-hmm. essentially yeah. <laughs>
4: Yep completely. I mean I, really I the thing some... the thing I liked most of all actually about the film was when they did that Valkyrie flashback and like you get the the sort of action visual that has the kind of Renaissance painting look like really over rendered and detailed. And I kind of wish they'd Mm. done more of that because that I thought looked absolutely stunning. But then, like I think the whole the film as a whole is really well designed. Like, there's not a part of this where you're like, "Oh, that was generic."
2: Yeah, no, I would totally agree on that. Um, Is there anything else uh, before we move on to comic book recommendations that you guys particularly want to say? Just kind of like as a wrap up on this film, some final thoughts.
3: Just just that I think you're incredibly wrong about that. <laughs> <laughs> that is a hell of a bio.
4: I, I think that while the, while the film has its flaws, I think this is a, generally a step in the right direction for Marvel Studios. Like, I would be content to see them do films of this, like, quality going forward, because what was like what was intriguing about it wasn't that it was slick and polished it was that it took some interesting risks and i would rather see that than more spider-man homecoming three stars down the line written by committee <laughs> does this director even exist film i
3: think i think like 50 to 60 percent of this film is the most director uh, t- director auteur led that any marvel film has been it's the rest that isn't that's the problem
4: (laughs) well i mean i think iron man 3 is the only other one that comes remotely as close
3: (laughs) because like and that does it more
4: yeah i think the the difference is iron man 3 is like super director led but also the director is within a much narrower field like he he makes the kind of films that marvel would like to make anyway whereas taika waititi makes Films that are nothing like anything Marvel produces.
2: Yeah, um, and I think my last thought would be, um, I'm going to flip what I normally say on the on the head. Um, I tend to not like superhero films when they're not about anything, <laughs> um, and I think this film should be about less.
5: <laughs> like, that's
2: that's my fault because like it's always I want it to be about something unless it's like committing to something else. And if like the actual driving force of the movie is the jokes then that's fine so i kind of I, I what i would have loved is for this film to be out and out comedy and i think it's funny it reminds me, it me of something um mike said on the episode that you recorded with him from the london film festival james uh, talking about one of the reasons he loves films is like over televisions is, is, is seeing people like operate within the limitations that cinema provides mm-hmm. um and that's a, something that you kind of can fascinatingly double down on when you are making a film within the Marvel Cinematic Universe <laughs> where there are all these other constraints on you and there is this universe that's already been created that you are like constrained to tell a story within. And I think next time, because I really hope there is a next time, I would love to see Taika Waititi have a bit more of a swing at telling a story that's completely his but also making it interesting within the M- MCU confines, so telling a story that fits in with some a- MCU plot, and maybe it just it needs to be a, li- a little bit less big to begin with, but actually does like deliver a story that works as a superhero movie within the MCU, and is also as hu- as hilarious as this film <laughs> is. Because I think just ultimately the the shame about this film is the plot is not interesting. Yeah. But by God, give me more of Korg and Loki and Hemsworth and, and that <laughs> entire gang. I and I, test Thompson's probably not irredeemable. <laughs> I don't dislike her anywhere near as much as uh, as I've as I've made out. It's just it's just you guys loved her and uh, I didn't, so I needed to double down and defend my corner. <laughs> Mostly, though, uh, I think it's all for. It's the same for all of us. Love the comedy. The rest of the stuff left a little bit to be desired. Should we move on now then to the comic book recommendations, you guys? I think I can probably guess, (laughs) given that one of them has been referenced multiple times throughout this uh, podcast, what one of the recommendations will be.
3: Uh, Yeah, so we we have referenced it a few times, but um, Kieran Gillen's run on Journey into Mystery, um, which focuses on the reincarnated young version of Loki, and is just a fantastic, very uh, in-depth, um, it's about 30-odd issues, but it really it gets into so much stuff and so much mythology stuff. Um, I'm actually not going to recommend you do it from the start, because <laughs> the first 10 issues or so all tie in heavily to the big event fear itself that was going on at the time. And so if you're not also following that, it it's can quite be a bit funny. tricky to keep after, track the,
4: of. after the movie, I went and I'm rereading Journey into Mystery and... I'm really struggling to follow the early stuff yeah.
3: <laughs> because it's yeah other stuff is going on yeah. that you need to be aware of but you can pick it up from issue 631 um so 631 and 632 are two sort of standalone issues that sort of get you up to speed and set up a few things. Is one of those the Mephisto then, issue? Um No, that's earlier. Okay. That that comes during the fear itself okay. stuff. <clears> okay. <throat> um then issues 633 to 636 are a four-part storyline called The Terrorism Myth, which is pretty much the kind of centre point of what the series is all about. Then skip the next two, because they're part of a crossover with, I think, New Mutants, yep. which Exiled. is irrelevant to pretty much everything. Then do issues 639, 640 and 641, which are a three-part storyline called The Manchester Gods. Um And I'll say no more about it other than that James and I wrote detailed annotations on these three issues (laughs) that you can see on cinematicuniverse.com. We brought them over from alternate cover. (laughs) And it's really something. It really is. And I think you'll get enough from those issues that you won't need to have read some of the other stuff around it. I think that stuff stands alone well, but gives you a sense of the kind of mythology stuff that I think feeds into this movie. So that's 631 to 636 and 639 to 641. Yeah,
4: Manchester Gods is a good shout, because I think, especially with the themes of Empire, that's part of that is in this
3: yeah, Oh, yeah, in this very one. much so. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic, okay. Um, slightly twitching at the idea of skipping issues, but... I know. You're, <laughs> if you tried to read them, you would understand why. You can't <laughs> yeah. read them without the other parts of the story that come from a different comic. So, yeah. Fair enough. Uh, James, what's your recommendation? Uh,
4: so a lot of the design of this film is taken from a kind of 80s Thor run by Walt Simonson, who was writing and drawing at the time. Um, especially, I think a lot of it draws on the something called the Serta Saga, which was his big kind of year-long epic. Um, I'm slightly wary of recommending you the whole thing because... You know, we're talking 80s comics, so they're very dense. And there's a lot of story in there. Like, I think literally it's 13 issues long. So I'm going to tell you to start reading and then see how far you get before you feel like you've got a handle on it. Okay. Um <laughs> So basically, the, it's Thor Volume 1, issues 340 to 353. So go through that and you'll you'll get a very good taste of kind of the best Thor run that happened for... I mean, it was 20 years before anyone did anything interesting with Thor again after Walt Simonson. So,
3: Brilliant. Okay, so uh, a lot of Thor and Loki, it sounds I, like. I um, just want to say about Walt Simonson as well. There are two kinds of people in... There are two kinds of comics readers. Um, people who think that Jack Kirby is the, the ultimate and the untouchable greatest things in comics and those who don't. Um, I'm I'm one who doesn't. But Walt Simonson is one who does, and I actually think Walt Simonson does Kirby stuff better than Kirby. But he is a massive <laughs> Kirby fan, and so much same at DC as well. So a lot of the stuff that he's done is so it's picking up Kirby's stuff. I mean, and I think he, he does a lot of it. He better. definitely
4: writes better than Kirby. I'm not sure he designs <laughs> yeah. better than Kirby, but yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay, uh, let's move on to our final section now, which is the pitch. Um, and you can kind of interpret this question however you want, guys. But I want to know which superhero character slash franchise would you like to mostly reimagine Thor style? So, you know, either changing the character slightly so, you know, he fits the tone of the film you're making a little bit more, or, like, throwing out a lot of the elements from before and doing some something different, or completely reimagining the tone of the franchise. Um, it's up to you how you want to interpret this. So, um James, I'll come to you first. Which <laughs> franchise would you like to see reimagined? Thor. Star?
4: Go to Seb first because I'm still thinking about this. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
2: okay. Again, keep, keeping that in the final podcast. Yep. Uh,
3: Seb, what do you what do you reckon? Taika Waititi Batman movie. <laughs> just just that. like this. Just Batman cut. Co- yep. Batman Batman comedy by Taika Waititi. Thank you very much.
2: I don't know how how does how does that work? Does he visit New Zealand, maybe? Batman International in New Zealand. There you go. And then we and then we see a ki- a Kiwi Batman. There you go. You've done it One for ba- me. One Batman? <laughs> or is that just Australia? I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've done the pitch for Seb. Uh James, can you beat the pitch that I did for Seb? Uh,
4: I mean what I really want to see is I have I feel like I've said this before but I just I want to see an X-Men movie that reflects the X-Men I grew up reading and love like we've said before the X-Men films as they're currently being made are very they're very not sci-fi <laughs> and they're very kind of you know they're not political in a bad way but they're kind of stodgy and high minded and like the stuff I love about the X-Men was always the marriage of that with the kind of soap opera stuff so I'd like to see someone do the X-Men where they have superhero costumes and they do superhero things and it's as much about infighting and squabbling as it is doing their big sci-fi plot and I can't I can't think of a director off the top of my head who I'd like to see tackle that, but anyone other than Brian Singer might be a good start.
3: <laughs> Fair enough.
2: Now, James, I'm conflicted because you, you've obviously taken the pitch more seriously there than <laughs> Seb has, but also I've come up with a name for Seb's movie. So I'm thinking... Would it that, help if
4: I came up a name, with a name for my movie?
2: If you can beat this Get one... On. It's, it's basically like Batman travels down to the Southern Hemisphere for Batman. You know, he does the Batman International thing. He meets the Australian version of Batman and the New Zealand version of Batman. And we call it One Batman v Kiwi Man Dawn Under i think i think james should <laughs> james wins the pitch this week uh, congratulations james uh, uh, and that is it for this week's podcast um if you're enjoying the show then please do subscribe on itunes stitcher player fm or your podcast app of choice uh, and you can support us on patreon at patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe Um, you can find more episodes of the show at cinematicuniverse.com you can get in touch via facebook on twitter at cine underscore verse or you can send us an email to editorial at cinematicuniverse.com thanks for listening and we'll see you next week Goodbye.
5: goodbye
4: putting together a team of people with special abilities. See, I believe enemies are coming.
2: Stop right there. I'm in.
4: You are? Just like that?
2: Yeah, I, uh, I need friends. Agreed. Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks' time with Justice League.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's.